Well, hello. Welcome to another session of the Corona Committee. It's a 134th meeting and it's called Concomitants this time. We'll uh, soon hear from Wolfgang Wodak what it's all about. Well, today, our guests are we have a, a former Jetstar pilot who will speak about a, a recent court case against an international airline by employees who were fired for failing to comply with vaccination requirements and the current high level of sick leave among airlines. That's a topic that has been quite topical and it uh, keeps me busy as well. Of course, I'm, I'm wondering because when you aboard a plane, you don't want the pilots um, struggling with thrombosis uh, just then. Then we have a doctor for nat naturopathy and homeopathy. Uh, she speaks about their situation as an example of persecution of doctors and scientists in Germany. Then we have a gynecologist and prominent voice against the corona regime. Um, he's a further example of the prosecution of just um, of uh, physicians um, who are critical of corona measures in Germany. And he speaks about the proceedings um, against him for which a weakened uh, judgment has been issued, but he's not happy with it and he appeals against it. Then we have a uh, forensic pathologist, university professor from Austria, and he speaks about his criminal complaint against a politician for acutely endangering human lives by recommending vaccination of children against uh, age six months to five years <coughs> against SARS-CoV-2 um, by mRNA injection. And uh, we might have a very interesting analysis later on, I hope it's going to work out, of this uh, PCR study uh, recently published that has found uh, that the PCR test can't really prove any um, infection. It's uh, coming from the um, uh, working environment of Mr. Drossens, so that'll be interesting. Now, um, it has been possible to support us um, due to our recognition as a charitable association um, after the incorporation of our new foundation now, which will um, soon publish all its account movements. So. Um, so it's bank statements so that you can follow up on what's happening to have maximum transparency. So thank you very much for uh, supporting us. And now you can also get uh, uh, receipts for your donations as well. Now, why, Wolfgang, why is this meeting called concomitants? You're still muted. Wolfgang, we can't hear you. You're muted. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Now, now you're muted again. <coughs> now, now it's working. Yes. Now. Okay. Well, uh, speaking term, and it's a lot of it connected to uh, with the virus spread and the so-called pandemic. Now we find out that there's so many political issues connected to it. We see people uh, doing their career, scientists gets a lot of money if they cooperate, and we see what's attached to it. It's a whole industry, and this industry doesn't stop um, with those who uh, die with it. There's people who make money with that as well, <clears throat> and that's what we don't want. And you get irritated at times if you've got these people who just go, come along and maintain it. Without the people who maintain it in science and politics, we wouldn't be so bad and the damage wouldn't be as big as we see it now. And uh, I came across a little poem, or I remembered a poem, 
which I heard uh, made by uh, written by Wolf Biermann. He is one uh, person who protested in the GDR, the former German East Republic, who was kicked out there, who carried on in Germany and Western Germany. And um, he never, he changed his direction at times, but I don't want to say that he, he was a turncoat, but he kept on learning. And in the last three years, I haven't heard of him. And this would be something for him, critical enough to speak out. And I'll read out a song text from old times, and I'd be interested to hear what he thinks about it now with all the people who go along, who benefit and who uh, make good careers, who are stupid, but who are needed. Uh, for me, it's, it's very drastic. Um, as his, uh, most of his poems are. Let me just read it out. It's a ballad about the circumstances on the death of despots, from which one can see how not only the despots, but also their lackeys can be disposed in a simple and effective way. When finally a despot is slain and dead, then one must also immediately in the same place with needle and thread tie his asshole tight. Sew it up and lock it, staple it and hot iron it, tie it up all over, rivet and solder it, nice and airtight and watertight, so that the whole flock of all the lackeys who crawled up there will stay inside forever. And then quickly take the dead, seal this pot and lay him deep in the grave and put more stones on top than Jesus had on his, so that no resurrection may occur of the hypocrites, the sypocrites, those who sniffling nose, the, uh, the armchair faults, the monkeys, the bigwits, the priests, the informers and the executioners, the poets and the thinkers who with the halo crawled deep inside that monstrous asshole. It was in old times a much-practiced custom that the High Lord into the richly decorated grave took along his servant's wife and dogs alive. And in this case, we do not want to stop the tradition with the masters, the, service shall, the servants shall perish. That was Wolf Biermann. Tough stuff. Um, I, of course, uh, refrain from this brutal fantasy and we're in the discussion about forgiveness and so on. But emotionally, it's well understandable that people get furious of what they are um, uh, opposed with with these lacays, and uh, we have to think on what to do with them later on. Well, quite um, interesting and um, interesting to hear how people dealt with these topics at the time. Uh, we'd, uh, it would be interesting to ask him where he stands today. Art has so many opportunities to oppress how people think and feel, which they can't get together and understand and remember well, well. And this poem is something that I remembered during all this course. Uh, so if somebody writes a poem, um, they have opportunity to say people that something that stays on and lingers on. That's true. Um, I remember a few more poems from the past. Maybe we should uh, publish more poems, maybe a, a little section. We need more art anyway. Um, art critical of the measures, the corona um, measures, um, art that takes a different perspective. So if you have anything, we're interested. 
So no uh, uh, court artists. Um, those artists who conform the system uh, are sewn up as well. Maybe the fools, uh, the court fools, the jesters can stay. So let's um, speak to the first guest because uh, due to the time delay, uh, time um, zone is late for them. If you wish to support uh, to uh, make questions, you can do it again under corona-ausschuss.de slash f134. Jetzt mache ich auf Englisch weiter. Wir haben äh, Kapitän Alan Dana äh, hier. Er ist ein ehemaliger Jetstar-Pilot. The vaccine mandate. Um, yeah, he holds British, US and Australian professional airline transport licenses, uh, including an FAA um, accident prevention counselor designation. And he's got 30, uh, 35 years. That equals 20, uh, 23,000 flight hours of experience. He's a member of the Global Aviation um, Advocacy Coalition. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. Thanks for the invitation. Um, it's my pleasure to be on with you guys. Fantastic. So what have you, um, so what is your status right now? You're not working as a pilot anymore, I assume at the moment? Not at all. I have a license, but uh, I cannot be employed in Australia because of the mandates are still very much in place. Um, the airlines, all of the airlines here are working together. They had the same mandate date uh, when they brought the mandates in back in uh, November 2021. And they've even gone as far as uh, mandating the boosters. And one airline is even mandating the, the new flu shot. So mm -hmm. they've, they've gone quite crazy. And the restrictions... Um, for a lot of employers here, for teachers, nurses, paramedics, um, airline staff, airport workers, uh, the police, the police are on to their fourth fourth shot. Uh, so the the double shot and two boosters, and so it's it's just nothing makes any sense. And uh, so as far as my career goes here, it's it's essentially over. I've basically taken forced retirement, but I'm lucky. I'm an old guy. Look, no hair left. Most of it's grey. So um, it's 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 okay. I'm I'm up for the fight because when you get to sort of your golden years, it's it's your opportunity to to push back a little bit. So that's what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And um, do you had do you know of uh, any kind of percentage of how many uh, people in the airline um, aviation business refused the mandate? I, I'm pretty sure I don't have any accurate numbers. It's very, very difficult because this is such a divisive issue. There's so many people have have uh, taken the shots willingly. So many have taken it under coercion and kept their jobs. Um, I'm we're really worried about those people. And then there's a very, very small percentage that really put their, you know, stood their ground like myself. Uh, probably maybe five percent, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people just don't have the stomach for the fight because it was at the end of obviously some quite severe lockdowns here in Australia. And um, so the fight was taken out of a lot of people. So our group now is about 50, mm -hmm. but there's hundreds and hundreds of more that either took um, redundancies or just took the terminations or resigned under duress. Um, but there's not that many of us that have actually been f properly fired 
who were taking the court action. Mm-hmm. And how has your the, court case gone? Well, the court case um, is going quite well, actually. I mean, we're we're getting more and more confident as more and more information comes out about the adverse reactions that's happening with the vaccines, and uh, we're, we're we're quite worried, obviously, about our colleagues that are actually suffering uh, consequences from the shots. Um, because one, they're probably not getting getting the treatment that they need, and they're not being people that aren't being believed. You, you've probably had the same thing in Germany as well, mm. where if you if even if you were fully for the vaccines and you couldn't wait to get your first one and you suffer an adverse reaction, suddenly you become invisible. They don't want to talk to you. So, um, so so the court case for us really, we've had a a, a major win really for us was one of the facts that Qantas did agree to was that they have now acknowledged in formal documentation that the vaccines don't provide any protection against transmission and the transmission between unvaccinated people or vaccinated people is similar. Mm-hmm. Now that was the, their whole reason for forcing us to get vaccinated in the first place. So we are astonished and so is our legal team that the Qantas have actually admitted to that fact when their whole policy about vaccinating staff against their will was centered around not us having staff in the workplace that could cause a transmission risk. So we are really looking forward to exploring this in the format of a courtroom Mm -hmm. because they've shot themselves in the foot. So the only other reason to get vaccinated was that they're very concerned about our personal health. Well, we asked them those questions before we got fired. What effect are these vaccines going to have on us individually, either positive or negative? And they wouldn't answer those questions. They just said, you must comply. And if you don't, you'll be fired. Now, one of our captains, uh, uh, Lee Maisie from, from Auckland, she had an adverse reaction from the first injection. Her doctor said under no circumstances get the second one. She provided that written report to the company and the company said, well, that's unfortunate. If you don't get the second shot, you're going to be sacked and they sacked her. We now have another Qantas pilot who's not involved with our case. He's taking his own case forward. He was dealing with um, bowel cancer Mm -hmm. and while he was being treated, he was undergoing all sorts of therapies, radiation therapy and uh, cocktails of drugs and the deadline for vaccination came up and the company was sending him letters that he needed to be vaccinated and his doctor's treating oncologist basically said you know this guy's going through some severe treatments here and um we'll we'll get him well and then we'll get the vaccines and the company said no if he's not compliant with the vaccine mandate he's going to be fired and while he was sick with cancer they fired him so they they are gone completely mad it's, there's no other word for it. So the case go, the case continues. We are looking at a management hearing in February, and Qantas now are sending us documents. We got the first one yesterday with their defence on what they did as far as bringing in the policy to force uh, vaccinate everybody. So it's 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 getting interesting. It's getting to the interesting phase. Mm-hmm. When do you expect a, a ruling? Well, if we can get the directions hearing uh, through by February, 
mm-hmm. um, and getting to discovery. We're getting into discovery now, which is where we will be requesting lots of very sensitive documents, which is going to strengthen our position on refusing these things. Uh, we, we're anticipating maybe March or April for the actual case itself. So um, we're getting we're getting quite a bit of support from some some politicians here in Australia from the freedom parties, uh, the One Nation and the Liberal Liberal Nationals. Some senators are, are right behind us, so they're helping us in getting our message out <coughs> and and the, getting the community behind us, and uh, so that we can raise the funds because obviously it's getting quite expensive. Do you know anything about colleagues uh, that try to avoid all this? by just changing their job, going to a different airline? And do you know airlines who who deal with it differently? Because I want to fly with an airline who, who does not give the jabs to the pilots. Yeah, well, th- there's there's uh, a, a major pilot shortage here now, obviously, <laughs> for, for some unknown reason. There's a, they took a lot of uh, people, uh, redundancies. Uh, there's a lot of people that just gave up after they had a 18 months, two years with no flying. They just decided that the, the, the business that they got into was more lucrative and they enjoyed sleeping their own bed every night. And they realized how good life could be when you're not chasing time zones all around the world all the time. So we've lost a lot of people that way. Uh, a few of the airlines that are having crewing problems um, have actually dropped their mandates. Air North is one, for example, up in Darwin. Um, they're a small jet operator that flies in the Northern Territory. They've actually started hiring unvaccinated pilots. There's also a couple of other small companies in Western Australia. And one of our team that are actually in the court case has managed to get a job in, in WA in Western Australia, uh, unvaccinated again, because these smaller companies have lost people and they've realized that their policy was a really stupid idea. Now, the United States Airlines, uh, quite a few of them, um, had a lot of pushback from the unions. And when they started to get into court, they finally dropped a lot of their mandates. So Atlas Air Cargo was one of the ones that was quite uh, vociferous on pushing mandates in the beginning, but they've completely dropped it. And they lost so many crew that they they can barely run their operation. So what they did is they went on a roadshow around the world looking for pilots uh, with experience, whether they were vaccinated or unvaccinated, to give them a job. And the U.S. Department of Immigration has given them a special visa for Australians uh, to to go into the United States unvaccinated, and that's the E3. And they came over to Australia and basically hired approximately 300 pilots and took them to the United States because they recognized the the experience. They would never get an opportunity to get a high level of experience. Meanwhile, Virgin Australia, since there's now even less pilots available, have actually reduced their experience requirements for new pilots going into that company, So, which is absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) Now, to answer your question, um, about the, the the airlines, this this is a question that we get all the time. Is it safe to fly? Now, if you're going to go on a, it's still safer to fly on a commercial airline, even with these shots in people, than it is to drive to the airport. Driving to the airport is the most dangerous part of your journey. However, what we're concerned about is that there is definitely a new risk that's been introduced into the cockpit that we've never had to deal with before. Now, if you're flying on an airliner, you've got two crew. 
So, you know, the pilot, captain and co-pilot. If one of those people becomes incapacitated for any reason, you know, it could be the, it could be a chicken sandwich or it could be the vaccine. You have no idea. The other pilot is very capable and qualified to be able to bring that airplane somewhere safely. What we're really concerned about is that the vaccines have introduced another element or an opportunity for incapacitation. And they are happening at a higher rate than we've ever seen before. And we cannot say for certain that these are vaccine related. That is true. And it is so it is a concern. It's a safety signal that we think that the regulators need to investigate to prove us wrong, to prove everybody wrong, that these incapacitations that are happening now are not vaccine related. And it's very, very easy for the regulator, EASA in, in Europe, the European uh, Aviation Safety Authority. In the UK, it's the CAA. In the America, it's the FAA. And here in Australia, it's the CASA, Civil Aviation Safety Authority. It's very easy for these organizations to pull in all of the licensed pilots for a screening program to determine once and for all whether or not pilots are hiding something medical that they know about, or maybe they could have something that in English we call subclinical. It's, it's an effect that they're having that they're unaware of. Yes. To be able to find that and be able to find it to treat it. Because the pilots that, that we know of that do have symptoms that they are keeping quiet, they won't be being treated for that. So whatever they've got could be getting worse. And that's that's a concern. Now, the other thing that we're really worried about is that incapacitations are an emergency situation for an airline. It's it, it, You have to call an emergency because if you should subsequently have a technical malfunction with the airplane, it becomes almost impossible to operate. You have some very, very complex checklists to perform when you have failures, be it hydraulic, electrical pressurization, maybe a fire on board, diversions with weather. You know, in, obviously in Germany, you've got, you know, the, the, the Alps, you've got you know, winter weather, the snow, the fog. Mm. All those weather conditions are enough to deal with on their own. And to try to deal with those with a complex airliner uh, and one pilot with a malfunction and a colleague who's passed out, it becomes a big headache. And uh, a, successful, a successful outcome is debatable. Now, back in 2021, there was uh, Captain Bob Snow on American Airlines. He had a cardiac arrest six minutes after landing in Dallas. Now, had that cardiac arrest happened to him at seven minutes earlier, he would have been, you know, maybe 100 meters in the air doing close to 300 kilometers an hour. The there may not have been time for the other pilot to recover the aircraft. So there are two, two critical phases of flight that we are very concerned about. That's the takeoff and the landing. <laughs> because 100% of the takeoffs are done manually, and 99% of the landings are done manually. So and in that phase of flight, if there's a, an unexpected roll of the aircraft or the rudders are pushed by somebody having a, a medical event, the time to recover, it's, it's debatable whether there will be a good outcome. So like I said, while it's still safer than driving to the airport, there is another big risk that has been induced, which could easily, which could easily be investigated and is not being investigated. What about the unions? 
Do are they engaged? Do they protect you, or are they just on the other side? The unions are actually worse than the airlines because the unions have actually operated very much like a Trojan horse. They they were being taken as money as far as union memberships for years and years and years, and you expect them to protect you, and you can have frank, open conversations with them, and they go into a closed room meeting with the management, and they basically come out and say, "We support the airlines' uh, introduction of the mandate," and that was it. It was just like, "Oh my God!" You know, Good. you guys are actually worse than the airline management because you're it, playing both sides. Is it possible to fund uh, new unions parallelly, to have new unit critical unions to make a new one? Yeah, absolutely. And then this is one of the discussions that we're having with the U.S. Freedom Flyers in America, and uh, the Aussie Freedom Flyers in here in Australia, is that we are seriously considering. Uh, once we're done with these court cases, is that we will be very, very visible when the court cases happen because Qantas is such a huge brand in Australia, mm -hmm. and we have an opportunity to use that visibility to be able to form a new union that actually protects the individuals on an individual basis because the, the unions that are here APA and uh, the AFAP they have basically sold everybody out you know the, the mandates have no place in a western democracy democratic society at all and what they've done is 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 criminal it's the same thing uh, i'm i was more than 40 years in a union here for health people And it, mm. it's the same. They they're just bought. They're just on the other side. Yeah, it's yeah, very it's, it's very sad what happens. It, it is, and but it's it's every institution across every part of government. If every business, they're all broken now. That's obvious. And with regards to these cases of passing out and other, you know, um, serious events that might have an effect on on safety. Uh, of landing mm. and so on. Uh, how much? How much more cases? Do you, do you have a feeling well, how much just, more cases are popping well, up? I'll, yeah, I'll just give you an idea. I'll just read out a couple that we've made a list of. Uh, in November the first, uh, Austrian Airlines from Vienna to Berlin, uh, OS two thirty five. The pilot uh, vomits uh, onto the instrument panel, passes out, and actually leans on the thrust levers which control the engines. The airplane made a safe landing in Berlin and emergency services were called to treat that pilot. I did actually contact Austrian Airlines to ask them about this event and they did confirm that it was a, a pilot in a pilot medical incident and that was all they would say. So that's first of November. November the third, um, 2022, Fly Dubai, Boeing 737 had to divert into Iran after the captain falls ill. Uh, April 2021, incapacitated pilot by stroke prompts the ANA, which is a Japanese airline, Boeing 787, to divert. Uh, May 2020, a Delta Airlines Boeing 777 flight is forced to divert. The pilot is incapacitated. Uh, Lufthansa, first officer, collapses on the flight. That was September 2021. October, 22, uh, October 2022, Indonesian Airlines pilot uh, collapses in the cabin. Uh, I think there's some video of that on YouTube somewhere. Uh, December 2021, WestJet Canadian pilot collapsed mid-flight and the airplane had to divert. Air Canada uh, on the 26th of September 2022 uh, diverts to Orlando on its way to Puerto Rico. One of the pilots incapacitated. Austrian Airlines, a Boeing 767 near Vienna, 
the first officer incapacitated. It just goes on and on and on. Now, these are incidents that made the news. Now, there will be a lot of incidents that where they had other pilots on board. So maybe they had a safety pilot or a cruise pilot, or it was a, a very, very long flight. Anything mm -hmm. sort of over nine hours, you have to have extra pilots on board. So all that would happen is that that incident would actually not make the news because it now is no longer an emergency event because they have a spare a spare pilot on board. So no, all they'll you. do, yeah. Such, so those, such sorry. Sorry, those incidents will actually stay out of the news and will only be reported internally within the airline. So but those are the incidents we, yeah, we want to get sorry. hold of. But there is a statistic on such events, isn't there? There should yeah. be. And yeah. you should you should see in the statistics whether something has changed from the years before those jabs. That's is right. Possible, is it possible to see it? That's right. The airlines will have to do what's called an air safety report, and they will have to hold those hold those reports. And and something like an incapacitation is quite a serious event. Now, we know you you know and I know that that these vaccines are starting to have serious side effects. But the regulators and the authorities, they do not want to acknowledge it. And they do not want to start screening pilots because they are afraid of what they're going to find. Because if they find anything, they're going to have to ground these people. They're going to have to treat them and then admit it. And then that becomes liability. And then the liability comes with a price tag. So they got a huge problem. Um, I've got a video there that I gave to Corvin. Um, we have here in Australia, one of our medical regulators who's part of the Aviation Safety Authority, we caught her on a Zoom call talking to pilots, trying to tell them to get vaccinated. And she's actually admitted that they are aware that the vaccines cause myocarditis and pericarditis. Well, in an air crew member that's in charge of an airplane with 340 people on, that's a pretty bad thing. And so, but she's acknowledged it. Now, she's one of the few people in any regulator anywhere in the world has actually dropped dropped the ball effectively because she's admitted it on camera and we have that evidence and we are going we are going to be taking it up with the regulator and the politicians that we're working with so i don't know if corvin wants to have a, is able to play that video it's um this would be great yeah you have have a look at that and there's also the pilot that um, suffered the heart attack six minutes after landing. He's in this clip as well. I just heard about new cases of young young men, sports, sporty men who just collapsed, having a stroke yeah. with 23, with 32. Many, many such cases each day happen. And uh, and this is only those people who are famous, who are playing public publicly in some sport event. So all the others, 23-year-old and 30-year-old young people who go to, to who go to normally to a hospital or to go to the doctor or just die, nobody speaks of them. We don't count them. Yeah. Well, they, the, the Peter McCulloch, the Dr. Peter McCulloch from the United States, he's actually pointed out that there could be a trigger for these uh, cardiac incidents, could be the elevated levels of adrenaline. Yes, stress in the, mm -hmm. in the sports levels. Now, yep. I can tell you from bitter experience, when you have an in-flight emergency or technical malfunction, that gives you an instant hit of sure. adrenaline, you know, yes. especially sure. in such a large airplane. So 
if the, the adrenaline is a trigger for a cardiac event and you suffer a technical malfunction with the airplane, the initial, the initial surprise of the event is quite startling. And we are trained to relax after the initial event and then just go through our procedures. And could it be that that event then triggers a pilot to pass out or have an event in the same way that the sports people are having? Yes. We don't know. So this no, is why we're calling, yes. calling for screening. We need screening. Those events happening then on the basis of some, on some in, inflammation in, in the in the endothelia of the of the of the, of mm. the blood vessels, mm. they happen very acute. There's a very acute event. Yes, they, they and you maybe you don't feel anything, or maybe you just feel something what you cannot categorize. You don't know what it is. You feel a little bit different as as normal, but this happens very very suddenly, and it happens when there is stress. And all those people mm. on the on the football fields and all the on, on all pilots when they land, or it's it, they are in stress, and yeah. uh, this is why it's so dangerous. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it's the the airplane as well is a different environment on the ground because you've got reduced atmospheric conditions inside the cabin. Yes. Um, the the seven eight seven cabin is at an altitude of six thousand feet. And the uh, other airliners, like an A330 or something, is the in cabin inside the airplane is about 8,000 feet. So these medications have not been tested for the effects of reduced mm -hmm. alt atmospheric conditions. And when you uh, are very often, yeah, when you're very yeah. often in these conditions, your blood is different. You get more erythrocytes normally because you have a training to be in this atmosphere. Mm. And when you have more erythrocytes, there's more chance that you get blood clotting. Yeah, exactly. You know, when your blood is thicker, it, it's it's easier clotting then, so you're more at risk than even because of that too. Yeah, yeah, and it's so this is the, this is, that's right. So this is the point with the aviation regulators in Europe and UK, America, and Australia that they have lists of drugs that pilots and aircrew must not take because they have been evaluated for the conditions that we find in an aircraft. These dr these drugs have not been evaluated with an aero medical <laughs> a medical assessment. They have not done it, and they couldn't answer those questions. And all they said to us when we sent them official letters is that we have taken the World Health Organization and the International Civil Aviation Organization (ICAO) advice, and we say that they're safe for crew. Well, those two organizations have no legal or regulatory authority in your national no. countries. None whatsoever. That answer is completely to deflect their responsibility. They don't have the luxury of doing that. The responsibility for pilot aeromedical health lays completely with EASA in Europe and completely with CASA in Australia. Stops with them. They must do the evaluation and not push it off to any other outside agency. They don't have the legal authority to do that. So we know whom to blame. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, I hear That's that the, sure. the clip is ready. So let's watch it. Excellent. Us won't. We're happy to compromise the health and well-being of adult males and give them a Pfizer so they end up with myocarditis. But we're not happy to do that to a seven-year-old child like my daughter. Why is that? 
that's that's good because it's not a novel, bizarre, gosh, what's going on kind of process. They know what's happening. It's being triggered by that vaccine, but we know what's happening. And because we know what's happening, we can now say we know what we can expect to happen. And with those um, vaccine-associated pericarditis, myocarditis, as they are with other vaccine-associated ones, they resolve. Long-term outcome of, of the vaccine-triggered inflammatory processes in the heart are uh, resolved. So we're comfortable long-term. My name is Bob Snow. I'm a captain for a number of years. My total service with the company is over 31 years. On November 7th, I was mandated to receive a vaccine. Quite literally, I was told if I did not receive the vaccination, I would be fired. This was from our director of flight. So. Under duress, I received the vaccine. Uh, now, just a few days ago, after landing in Dallas, six minutes after we landed, I passed out. Uh, I coded. I required three shocks. I need to be intubated. I'm now in the ICU in Dallas. This is what the vaccine has done for me. I will probably never fly again, based upon the criteria that the FAA establishes pilots. I was hoping to teach my daughter to fly. She wants to be a pilot. That will probably never happen. All courtesy of vaccine. This is unacceptable and I am one of the victims. You can see that this is actual result of the vaccine for some of us. Mandatory, no questions asked. Get the shot or you're fired. This is not the American disease associated and that's another reason why we'd rather you had myocarditis after a vaccine which is super rare than myocarditis after an infection which is much more likely and possibly much more long-term consequence um, of a lot of the things that we do in our daily life and the potential outcomes health-wise of a lot of the things that we accept in our world that we don't do surveillance for is really high. Um, my screen's not big enough because it's up this high. Um, the risk of having something occult lurking in the background after the vaccine is really low. Like way down, my hand's down, you can't see it. Um, it's so low that we're not doing surveillance after vaccines because that would actually be really unreasonable because we don't do it for anything else, um, because we don't have to. So there you go. The vaccines are safe, they are effective, they will stop you from getting really sick, and I encourage you to have your vaccines. Um... You can probably stop it there, actually. That particular lady is the head of the Civil Aviation Safety Authority's medical department and responsible for all pilot medicals in Australia. She also owns a vaccine clinic where she makes money from administering vaccines and performing tests. And she's telling a pilot who asked her a question about the booster. He asked her a question and he said, my daughter-in-law 
had an adverse reaction with her heart after the after the booster, and my son-in-law also had a uh, adverse reaction, and I'm concerned. I haven't had any reactions from the first two shots. Should I get the booster? And she was explaining that it wouldn't be a problem if he'd suffered uh, myocarditis or pericarditis, and this guy was going to be in charge of an aeroplane. Wow. It's just staggering. It's really amazing. So, but when you think um, about the time before the crisis and before the vaccines, how rare was this event that a pilot would just pass out or have like a myocarditis or something like that on, on a flight? I've never known anybody to have any uh, cardiac or heart-related issues amongst the crew. There was always instances where, you know, you went to somewhere in the, in the Middle East or the Far East and had, you know, some, some street food you know, from Bangkok or somewhere and, you know, the next day, you know, you might have to spend, you know, a little bit of time in the bathroom, uh, that kind of thing. Or you might have some dodgy food on the airplane and it just upsets your stomach. That's about it. But passing out from cardiac issues or p pilots having neurological issues, pilots going blind, we've got anecdotal evidence of crew actually losing their eyesight in flight. And also losing the motor skills in their arms, which is obviously to fl to control the uh, controls of the airplane. Uh, all sorts of different things, uh, cognitive functions, you know, brain fog, not being able to think, wondering where you are. There's all sorts of reports coming out. So it's not just the myocarditis, pericarditis. These are any event that is a flight risk, anything that is to do with your hearing, your eyesight, your motor skills with your arms, feet, hands, legs and obviously your heart and blood pressure and blood clotting. All of those uh, situations could have a safety effect. And this is why we're desperately calling for the aviation regulators to perform a screening program on the crew. It's very cheap and it would be it would start to instill some confidence because if we're right, there's going to be an accident. You know, there is so much there. Are, you are so well watched. Your health is so much examined and you're much more controlled in your health as <laughs> any other group. You have to be healthy to have yes, safe flights. Ex ex and exactly. And what, what you observe now is so important because it's not only the pilots and the staff in the airplanes that get the shot, but all the bus drivers, all the all those people everywhere who are responsible for, for their for their job and for whom whom we rely on. And there are so many people, and it's so important that you should, that you come out now with this, because yeah. it's. If I think of big ships, you know, where there's only one person and in the steering at the steering wheel, because it's a very small crew, and the others sleep, and this is it's everything is so dangerous what we experience now, and I just had I heard of of an accident of a young man here, who, out of nowhere, suddenly left the road. A young man who yeah. was a professional driver, just 30 years old, just left the road. Mm. There were three people dying there and a car. So we don't hear about such things. There are car accidents. Nobody will examine them. There will be yeah. no examination of, of whether there are blood clots or whether they were whether they got the jab or not, because the doctors are not interested in who give the jab. It's the same doctors who have given all those jabs to whom those patients come and who are now perhaps ashamed that they did it, but they don't want to speak about it. They just 
are calm. Exactly. It's a big load they have to carry. They will have to carry those doctors. That's right. And coming back to the aviation world, there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of airplanes that only require one pilot. And almost every helicopter out there is one pilot. Oh. And also countries, uh, defense forces, fighter fighter defense aircraft, yes. a, one, a one pilot. Yeah. So, so if there is an incident and the airplane crashes into the land, then there'll probably be a, a fire. There will be no evidence. So you will not know whether it was vaccine related right. or a, or a pilot event. If it jumps yeah. into the ocean, into the ocean, you'd be lucky to find it. So the evidence is gone. So this is why they don't want to look. And they're so, so they're so concerned about safety of the health of the pilots that we're not even allowed to eat the same meal on the flight deck for fear that one pilot will have a, a problem with the chicken or the beef. We have we are not allowed to have the same meal. And most airlines don't, most airlines are forbidden from serving peanuts on the airplane in case somebody might have an allergic reaction to a peanut. But it, all that safety stops when it comes to the vaccine. Why? It's just it's just ridiculous. And as I say again, it's criminal. And the people that are not investigating, we've got their names. And we're coming after them. And this is what one of our Senator Malcolm Roberts said here in Australia. We're coming for you. And we yes, are we yes. are lobbying, lobbying the Civil Aviation uh, Authority here. And we're going for them because with what this lady said, that Kate Manderson in the video has said that they've acknowledged that there is a problem and they're happy. And they've actually come out with a new rule. I didn't I didn't know this. I just found this out just a few days ago. There is a new new rule from the regulator here in Australia, and it says. It's a multi-crew restriction. So this is for a pilot. This is, in their own words, enables a pilot to continue flying despite the presence of a medically significant condition. <laughs> And it says a little bit further on, so this allows pilots to come on, back onto the flight deck with a medically significant condition, and the other pilot needs to be uh, prepared to take over control and be aware of the type of incapacitation the other pilot might suffer in flight. That's right on their website. 7.3 multi-crew endorsement at casa.gov.au, if anybody wants to look that up. It seems they know that this, incredible. that this might happen um, you know, more and more, and they're just preparing for it. They're changing the regulations, knowing that this might come up and they need to be prepared. Yeah, exactly. And this is this came out at the end of 2021. So the airlines are obviously jumping up and down because they're having problems crewing airplanes because they don't have the staff that they need. Meanwhile, myself and hundreds of other colleagues are fully healthy, unvaccinated, caught, ha had a, a, a bad sniff for about four days when I caught COVID. Nothing wrong with me. I'm ready and available, but grounded because uh, of their policies. Do you think that they would <laughs> that a one of those more, um, uh, you know, open-minded airlines would hire you again if you if you wanted to hook up with them or like? Uh, quite possibly. Um, the, the the salaries have have increased in the United States. Um, I could I could go over there, but I'm not prepared to prepared to leave now. I've, I've been on the ground for a, uh, my last flight uh, was in March 2020. 
um, my primary route was to Japan, and I was coming. I came out of Osaka, and that was basically my last flight. Um, and then I, I was fired in April, April this year. So it's it's um, it's okay. I'm I'm okay with it. But as I said, I'm I'm the lucky one. You know, I'm I'm close to the end of my career anyway. Mm. It's the young it's the young people that I feel for. You know, we've got a few guys uh, and girls in our in our court case that are, are in their late 20s, early 30s. They've got their whole careers in front of them and it's been stopped. And they can ill afford the court case, but, you know, we're doing everything we can to raise money. So, you know, if you've got any Aussies living over there in Germany, get on to uh, AussieFreedomFlyers.com and, uh, you know, give us the cost of a coffee and uh, that will help our fight against Qantas because um, it's going our way, so it won't be wasted. <laughs> It's, I think it's a very important um, case that you that you are um, uh, filing there or like have filed and I think it's it's interesting I mean I mean hopefully it's gonna go into like a like really objective um, investigation I mean you know here the I don't know if you're familiar with this uh, uh, soldiers case that we had here in Leipzig um, where they uh, mm. they looked at all the evidence uh, for like five days and it seemed that it was they were, were really taking uh, you know the um, yeah I mean the, the arguments uh, brought forward like serious and then all of a sudden they decided well you know we can just listen to the authorities and everything is good yes and it was uh, you know it's effective and safe and blah blah I mean it's really it's amazing so it was basically yeah. like yeah. a show, show trial or we don't know that's right and it's so important to try and formulate the arguments so simply that the judge is put in a position where he can only see uh rule in favor of the people that are fighting against this i mean even if you take the most safe drug that you can imagine paracetamol for a headache it's not safe for everyone you know if you look at the That's warning right. label if you look at the warning label on paracetamol there are some severe side effects just from a headache tablet. Penicillin is not safe for everyone. So the fact that these, these fools are trying to say that this is safe and effective, safe for who? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's very easy, it's very easy to do a, a, a test to see if you are going to be allergic to a peanut, for example, and they can't do a test for, for this to see if it's safe for, for the people that they're giving it to. And that's the there is no logic in their argument they are just being a bullies and uh authoritarians and i'm not going to play that game i'm going to fight them all the way along with my from, colleagues from the audience or rather a suggestion are you in touch with um, airline insurers because that could also be very interesting for them that maybe the risk that they have to insure is now much higher because of all these uh, incapacitations or like uh, the ill well luckily not we're not actually in contact with the airline insurers but the thing with the airlines is is that they they're getting away with it because the the other pilot if they do have an incapacitation like one of the ones that i just read out to you the airplane makes its way to the ground safely because we are trained to fly them on our own but we're not trained to fly them on our own with a technical fault or with severe weather in you know like fog or snow or whatever it's it's, it's really going to be a problem so they haven't lost any aircraft. They get on the ground safely. And this is what they're, they're resting on, their, on the safety of the operation and the professionalism of the crew that's, that remains on board to get the airplane on the ground. So they're not losing aircraft, which is a good thing, which I, I'm really happy about. 
All I'm saying, suggesting to your viewers is that there is a level of risk has gone up when you get on board an aircraft now because of this, this situation. And I said it before, it's, there's a term in English, as you're well aware, an elephant in the room that people just don't want to look at. We have an elephant in the cockpit <laughs> and, <laughs> still, and still the civil, the regulators cannot see it, you know? And what is what what um, could you uh, say a few words to the general situation in Australia? Like what's the what what is the status of the measures and uh, sort of also the mood of the people? Well, the, the Aussies are a little bit lazy, to be honest. I'm I'm from England originally. I've been here 15 years. My wife is an Australian. The sun shines most days. People are quite happy. They go to the beach, go surfing. You know, life is good. And they have sleptwalked into this, which is why I think that in Victoria and New South Wales, they had some of the most severe lockdowns anywhere in the world. 273 days was uh, in, uh, in Victoria and Melbourne, which was ridiculous, you know. So they, they weren't really aware how bad things could get because they became complacent on how good things were prior to these lockdowns. And... Everything, that, all the measures that came in, came in by surprise. You know, that we were locked out of coffee shops. It's very similar to probably what happened in Germany. And uh, we were excluded from a lot of places where we just couldn't go. We couldn't leave the country. We couldn't cross the, cross the border into a different state. Uh, it's only been recently where they have opened up international travel on Qantas. Uh, you had to be fully vaccinated to be even on board a Qantas airplane internationally. They never actually restricted us flying domestically, which is really interesting. So the crew had to be fully vaccinated, but the passengers didn't. And you had to wear a mask on board the aircraft. But when they brought out the trolley with the food on it, that trolley was magic because when you were eating, you didn't need to wear the mask. So I call it the magic meal trolley. So whenever that comes out, you know you are safe from corona. But uh, the, the measures now, It, um, there are still many employers that will not hire somebody that is unvaccinated. Even though all of the state mandates are gone, all of the border crossings are all open now, there's no restrictions on traveling in or out of the country whatsoever. But a lot of these businesses are still holding on to the mandate and the vaccine requirements, and we don't know why. And the, the police force, for example, is four shots. They have to have four shots or they get terminated. And it's the, the medical department is is bringing um, bringing nurses and medics back who are unvaccinated. So the the, the measures are they're still there. They're still in the background, and there is some discussion that they may try and bring back the mask mandates again. That's what they're talking about at the moment. But I don't know if you've heard about the situation with the baby in New Zealand. Have you heard about that? That's quite just quite distressing. There's um, a family with a baby that has a heart condition that needs to go in for surgery. And they asked the medics for unvaccinated blood to be used in the operation. The doctors basically said no. So the family managed to get a lot of their volunteers and supporters who said that they would volunteer to give blood when required for the operation for the baby so that they could have unvaccinated blood. They, the authorities said no. The, the government went to court. They have now kidnapped the baby from the family with the police, and the baby is now in custody 
uh, with the authorities and they are going to perform the operation and give their baby blood, which could most likely would be blood from a donor that has been vaccinated against the wishes of the family. It's absolutely disgusting. It's it's so distressing. Yes. Um, and they had the, these police thugs uh, in there, you know, taking the baby off of the family. It was just incredible. And the, the demonstrations are getting quite large at the moment. And, and that's just like, you know, these people do not understand where they are sending our society. Not only that, they're now forcing this this uh, blood into the the baby. I mean, also to take the baby away from the parents. I mean, that's another mm -hmm. uh, terrible thing, mm -hmm. you know, traumatic. Yeah, totally. It's really and criminal. It's, it's completely unnecessary. And he's already got the little baby Will. He's already got uh, a heart condition, I think, and that was what their concern was. So, <laughs> you know, this is the thing that we're just flagging up here that we know. The, the Pfizer and Moderna have said that in their in their own trials that myocarditis and pericarditis is a problem and young people are dropping with heart attacks all over the place at, at rates we've never seen. And then this poor family have got this kid and uh, the state is going to do the performance of this operation on him. It, it's just like, it, it's unbelievable. It's in a mad, like in a madhouse. <laughs> Well, mm. um, and the political situation, are there like political parties? You mentioned the senator um, that are opposing the mandates and this whole measure regime. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the one of the one of the big parties here that is is One Nation, uh, led by Pauline Hanson. She's fantastic. Uh, senator Malcolm Roberts is um, really go, going full throttle in support of everything against the mandates. You know, he said, if you want to get vaccinated, get vaccinated. If you don't, don't. But all these mandates have to go. He's on our side. I talk to him regularly. Um, Senator Malcolm, uh, uh, sorry, Gerard Rennick from the Liberal National Party. He's been fantastic. Um, so th th there's a few really good, good people speaking out. Um, but it's there's so few, which is the disappointing thing. There's so many of the politicians are just silent and complicit in what's going on. And my situation in the airlines, you know, it's 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 a sideshow. You know, when you sit back and think about it, we've got to work out what these fools are doing next. What are they going to be doing next? That's what I'm more concerned about. You know, the airline flying, international travel, they are there is no doubt that they will be locking us down again. No doubt at all. And it's preparing for that really trying to stay one step ahead of what's coming next well i mean it's great that you do this that you took the courage to fight and also that you were so consequent to just say no and that you yes. withdrew and that you inspired i guess also a lot of other people to to think for themselves if they really want to take that risk or not and it's really something that we have to be very careful about i mean like creating such a big risk for such an important um you know business uh, section like it's it would be yeah i mean so much uh, responsibility for flying an aircraft you know and like how what uh, usually as you said all the demands that you have with regard to health health and so on and now it's really just like swept away doesn't matter anymore but it's such a we really have to stand up and fight against this because it's putting everyone at risk and, uh, That's right. And it's not just the passengers on the airplane, it's the people that we fly over. When you come into land, you're usually flying over a metro metropolitan city. 
and this is what Wolfgang said, you know, with when when a young fella dies in a car, people just ignore that. It's just one death. And if that person in the car was a pilot on his way to work, nobody would even know. But they would certainly remember the name of the pilot if he takes 340 people with him. <laughs> you know, and, and that's what we're trying to avoid. And this is what the regulators are supposed to be charged with. They are paid very large salaries, lots of responsibility, and they are not doing their job. And we're trying to call them out on it. So it's good you stay for security. It's very good mm. that you take this responsibility. And I'm very sad that all those people who are well paid and on a high position that they just ignore it, that they just are I mean I, I said they are they're just corrupted. Sorry, but they are. Yeah, yeah I, th I think uh, what, what is it? Somebody said, I can't remember, it's somebody from history. He said, never put down to a conspiracy what can be explained by sheer stupidity. You yes. Know? <laughs> you know, but you don't, you don't recognize when you're corrupted and you don't recognize when you do something wrong, when, it de when your salary depends on that you continue doing it. That's exactly right. And that was the question that I thought when I was critically thinking about whether or not I was going to take this. Is anybody telling who's telling me to take this shot to keep my job, is any of them getting paid to tell me to take it? And every one of them was getting paid to tell me to take it. I was like, if you can find me somebody that's got no interest in these vaccinations whatsoever, and they're completely impartial, and then they can make a case to take it, okay, I'll take it. Nobody could. Every politician, you've got to take it safe and effective. They were getting paid. The the managers at airline airline, they were getting their salaries or bonuses or whatever. There's rumors that the airlines were getting bonuses for every staff member that they could get injected. Wow. You know, that's only a rumor. But you know, it's, it's I wouldn't put it past them. There's so many no, pigs. It's, yeah. It's it's with the doctors. Well, normally when they vaccinate people, they don't get extra money. But yeah. when they give this jab, in Germany they get 28 euros, or on, on on Sundays and Saturdays they get more than 30 euros for one jab. So this makes some, uh, this makes in a month, <coughs> this is really some 10,000 euros. And yeah. um, this is, they take it. Of course. They take it and they do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing what people will do with their morals and their ethics when there is a big pot of gold to be had. And you know? they just they just print the money and don't care who will pay for it later. Yeah, yeah, it's. I th I think they realize that um, this is this may be the this may be the end game, you know. So they're just making as much money as they can before it all stops, yes. and they come in with these. Central yes. bank digital currency is, is, is the next is the next fight that we have coming. I think. I think this this is an end game. I I hope not for us. Yeah. 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 Is there it's, can people follow your uh, endeavor on a website? Do you publish the the legal briefs? Absolutely. Um, we our German colleagues and Swiss colleagues have airliners for humanity. Mm -hmm. uh, they are on Twitter. Twitter. So airliners for humanity. Um, they are part of the Global Aviation Coalition. Uh, we in Australia, our group is the Australian Freedom Flyers, uh, AussieFreedomFlyers.com. Mm -hmm. And Aussie Freedom Flyers is supporting the uh, magnificent Qantas, uh, Qantas 50 who are doing the court action. 
And then in the United States, there's U.S. Freedom Flyers. Uh, I think their website is .org, usfreedomflyers.org. So, yeah, follow us on the social medias. We've got Facebook as well and uh, Twitter as well. So that we, anything aviation-related, we, we try and put on our website. We try and follow on Twitter um, so that people can get a hold of us. But the, if for the, like I say, for the German-speaking German, German -speaking audience, airliners for, for humanity are the best guys to, uh, to follow. Okay, super. Yeah, so um, let's stay in touch and you keep us uh, posted on how the, your court case develops. I'm really curious how that goes. And hopefully, um, who knows, maybe it's going to be a breakthrough mm -hmm. case. We don't know. Absolutely. No, no worries. Yeah, we will definitely keep you updated now that we've made contact. Super fantastic. It's, it's, a, it's a great uh, fight that you're fighting. It's worth it. Hope yeah, you guys have, too. You, you, have, yeah. you, guys, you guys too. <laughs> Hope you have a soft landing. <laughs> Thanks very much, guys. Good to talk to you. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Ja, jetzt haben wir mit Captain Alan Dana gesprochen über die Situation in Australien. Er hat in Australia, he is taken illegal proceedings. 50 crew members who filed a lawsuit because of the vaccine mandates and because they have been fired. Because of that, very interesting, great uh, action that he's taken and I'm Curious to see the outcome. Now we have our next guest, Dr. Karula Yarvid Kistel. She is not yet on the screen, but uh, she will be with us in a minute. Hello. Hello. You are a naturopathic doctor focusing on homeopathic, working in Duderstadt, Lower Saxony, and you were already engaged against compulsory measles vaccinations even prior to Corona. Uh, what's your status? Are you in Germany at all? No, I am in Mexico right now. I've been here for nearly 10 months. And in principle, I protested against uh, these uh, measures, anti-COVID me measures. Um, I um, worked um, also, I went against the uh, vaccination mandate for uh, measles, or against measles, um, which was um, supposed to be mandatory not only for children, but also for educators, uh, teachers, etc. We thought we need to stop this. We weren't able to. It was uh, decided in uh, November 2019, and we knew that if you uh, come up with a, a mandate, a vaccine mandate um, in federal parliament, um, then something bigger is uh, coming. So we knew uh, something was coming, and uh, a colleague of myself immediately opposed these uh, COVID measures and vaccinations and genetic manipulation, etc. We were uh, quite uh, involved. We, of course, attracted a lot of criticism, and um, as early as April 2020, I was uh, already um, prosecuted by the uh, uh, physician's chamber of uh, chamber in uh, Lower Saxony because I um, didn't get the uh, vaccination against measles. And then I got an attestation uh, or gave attestations uh, for um, 
you know, to to uh, allow people not to wear masks because I have a lot of children that I uh, treat, and of course um, they all have um, prior conditions. Um, also, adults, uh, people with um, respiratory problems um, because of uh, traumas, etc., in their childhood, and that accumulated, of course, and. Um, people knew, of course, that I'm willing to issue certificates uh, to um, uh, certify that they don't need to wear a mask. So people came from a longer distance to get them. Uh, people who had to drive six, seven hours uh, by car, and that was something that I was accused of. So on the 20th of January 2021, I had a um, search um, for the uh, police search for the first time, a total of four. The most recent one in the summer of this year, uh, after I departed from Mexico already, and uh, well, I am now threatened with uh, lawsuits uh, because of the um, um, sub uh, implied uh, issuing of illegal uh, certificates. I'm also um, being sued for hate speech because I um, called these vaccinations biological weapons. Uh, that are uh, created uh, to perform a uh, genocide, and um, <coughs> I'm being accused of that um, um, because I claim that more people will die worldwide than with the Holocaust if we don't stop it immediately. And um, that is why I'm also accused of hate speech, which could uh, mean uh, a prison. Uh, imprisonment for me. I also didn't adhere to the quarantine mandate when I uh, returned from so-called high-risk regions. I visited family in the Balkans, and uh, that uh, took me through high-risk areas, and I was fined that I would uh, never pay the fine. Uh, I was um, observed by the police. Um, people were picked up. Um, um, by the police at my uh, doorstep, and I didn't open the door when the uh, police rang, etc. Um, so, in uh, the 20th of January 22, um, the uh, authorities um, requested that I lose my license to uh, practice as a doctor in Germany, that I had no longer the uh, mental um, condition, the mental um, ability to do this because I was only. A, uh, a tin head, and and that is uh, what I was accused of. Uh, of course, um, they accused me of being a, a right wing extremist, which is simply not true. Um, then, of course, I I also insulted a uh, an an officer because I accused a uh, policeman. Of illegally seizing my uh, files and that they uh, must be crazy, and I uh, retracted on that. But that is an insult, of course. Um, and um, um, infamy, um, um, defamation against um, a um, public prosecutor, and. Um, because uh, doctors had to vaccinate uh, patients every 11 seconds without uh, proper um, 
information without um, information of the patient. I thought that it wasn't possible to do that within 11 seconds, and um, so I'm being accused of that as well, of, of speaking out against this. And um, after the uh, third search, I was afraid that they wouldn't only seize my own uh, files, but that I would be seized as well, that I uh, might be uh, vaccinated forcefully. Um, and that was the point where I said I have to leave Germany, I have to take a, a time out. I was going to have a, a study trip and I went to Guatemala and I uh, wound up here with a severe post-traumatic stress disorder syndrome and uh, I can't go back to Germany uh, because I can't um, face this um, lawsuit. Um, um, seven days of um, um, hearings had been scheduled which have been postponed because I'm just not able to participate. So that is the status now. Short summary. Wow, that is impressive. And uh, now you seem to be especially either because you were so loud or because they kind of focused on you. Um, there was other people who behaved similarly and who, who certified inability to be vaccinated. And how come that you got on the focus so much? Well, I'm not so much in their focus, but um, uh, one colleague uh, who um, spoke at these uh, meetings um, or uh, somebody who was um, prosecuted for mask uh, attestation um, issuing, etc. Uh, some colleagues have um, emigrated, were um, um, tried in absentia, and um, there are some colleagues um, who have been defamed, um, who have been persecuted, and people's uh, livelihoods have been stripped away. Um, our being um, constantly talked about in the media uh, with NTV or Spiegel TV, um, I used to have that in my practice. Actually, I had North German uh, TV uh, station in my uh, practice and other uh, uh, TV stations, and we were framed again and again by them. And um, then there's this documentation. Uh, may uh, Corona um, deniers be uh, doctors? Uh, so, and, and I was on the cover page, basically, where we were uh, ever more framed and hunted, and it really destroyed our lives. So my uh, partner uh, separated from me because they didn't want to be with a criminal. And friends asked him, uh, asking him, what's uh, wrong with Corolla? And the only thing I did was I simply protected my patients. I saw what was happening. I saw what was coming down the line. I um, have a Hippocratic Oath uh, to follow, which I did. And I have the... Um, uh, Nuremberg Codex, and I just followed all the rules and regulations. All I did was I spoke out, I said it in uh, demonstrations, in um, uh, uh, protest marches, etc. Sometimes I uh, took to the street two or three times a week because I was really afraid uh, for the future of our children. Real madness. How do you assess 
the current situation in Mexico. Do you follow the situation there? Well, in Mexico, a lot of people have been vaccinated, of course, and they have uh, a lot of problems. There's many accidents happening here as well, but people are very uncritical. They believe in the mainstream. There's very little resistance in Mexico. The physicians even that I talked to, the um, psychotherapists and psychiatrists have uh, got jabbed because otherwise I can't travel to the US or do this, that and the other anymore. So they got jabbed themselves. So uh, sometimes they know what the risks are, but they also said that, well, we had to have it done. And even uh, the children, um, uh, children have died in Mexico of it, of course. So it's pretty scary, I have to say. But I think I just can't return to Germany right now because I, ha I don't have the money to uh, fight out these uh, processes. Imagine seven days of hearing. Um, I have a, a lawyer on board from Lower Saxony and that cost me 6,000 euro a day. And uh, with seven days of processes, that's the way it is. Uh, they need to uh, charge, you know, for a hotel, ac accommodation, travel expenses, yada, yada, yada. So I'm in contact with many lawyers, and I know from many uh, physicians that they are unable to afford this anymore. If every uh, suit costs 50,000 euro uh, with uh, court costs, etc., loss of income, etc., that you have to include, then every lawsuit is about 50,000 euro. And if you go through different appeals, then you lose your home, basically. And um, you don't normally wind up uh, successful. So far, all the doctors have been fined, maybe only uh, relatively low fines, 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 euro, no imprisonment. But people like me, where a few things have been accumulated, well, there's a few things at stake. Uh, it's our entire livelihood, our freedom. And everything that I built in 24 years of uh, work would be gone. And so that's why I can't do it. We have, of course, the um, uh, network um, of uh, physicians helping each other, but there are more than 100 physicians in Germany who had their uh, police searches, and not all of them supporters. Um, uh, some. Uh, worked under the radar and as well networked, but there are more than 50 people in our group where we actually exchange uh, information regularly. They're all threatened by the same thing, loss of uh, livelihood, uh, loss of license to work, um, loss of property and loss of freedom, imprisonment. And the worst is we never did anything bad. We're not criminals. All we did was we did what he had to do. And when um, I have a child in my practice uh, who complains that I always get a headache when I put on the mask, uh, and um, um, after eight hours of wearing the mask, people, um, some uh, children vomited into the mask uh, on the bus because they, they don't have any mask anymore, a clean mask to go to school anymore. So. Uh, the worst that I heard of was a 45-year-old woman who was uh, forced in Hanover to wear the FFP2 mask uh, while she was delivering, even though she was a high-risk patient. She had a um, 
uh, a burst blood vessel uh, in the past uh, during a, a delivery, and she was a recognized handicapped person, severely handicapped person, and yet she was forced to, uh, to wear an FFP2 mask during delivery, and her partner, who was called in during uh, the um, uh, delivery, he was forced to keep the mask on her face so it wouldn't be uh, dislodged. That is spooky. And then they uh, took the child away because they said we, it was a traumatic uh, birth. Uh, we have to take uh, the child away. We have to examine it. So um, uh, the wound was uh, traumatized and needed three quarters of a year of uh, treatment. She saw me in my practice. It's spooky what we see. And I could tell you more stories like that. If you're a doctor and you've worked there for four years, or many years like you have in your practice or in the authorities, and often you had infections and risk of infections. There's nothing unusual about that. We had an influential wave every year, and that can be hazardous for many people. Uh, so we know how to deal with infectious diseases, stay out of contact, and if people are infectious, nothing new about all that. And the doctors who learned this, who learned what to do, and now simply carry on, and don't uh, and listen to what non-experts tell them. That's what the politics tell them. The politics tell the doctors to do something else than what they have studied. And the doctors who simply uh, stay with what they think is right, they are punished now. It's so horrible to see that. And uh, it's uh, horrible if they are not protected, for example, by the doctor's chambers who should uh, make sure that our uh, medical ethos is not um, surrendered to politics. It's incredible. It's a massive crime that we're seeing here. And I think it's pure madness. Uh, and, and it's great to see people who stand to their oath and help the people. If I know what stupidity they are, I should have to tell everybody um, to... Uh, don't wear a mask. It's stupid if I have to do anything contrary to what I have learned as a doctor and what I have proof of, and I have to do something to harm the patient. You can't expect a doctor to do that. And this is something we'll see how long it'll take. It can't uh, be pushed away forever. Well, Wolfgang. We met before, um, we always tried not to support this narrative, this COVID narrative. We know that it's uh, fake, that it's a pandemic, that the masks are useless, etc., etc. But most physicians went along because they earned a lot of money with it. Um, because they earned well as a COVID uh, center, they um, make a lot of money with vaccine vaccinations and money makes people, well, corrupt. Yeah. It corrupts them, and they went along. And the few <coughs> physicians who uh, put their foot down, like myself, in my practice, I uh, didn't take any special uh, COVID measures, and I had the authorities in my practice, and they said, oh, we were told that you uh, welcome people or by um, handshake and um, embrace them. And I said, yes, I do. It's a human right, and I continue doing it. 
And uh, when I uh, welcome people, I um, uh, ask them in. I told them uh, this is a corona-free zone. Take your mask off. You can move freely here. The children were allowed to play. There was no distance, social distancing, etc., etc. And I didn't lose a single patient to COVID. And uh, the, by contrast to the many, many people who died from these genetic injections, uh, many people in um, among the people I, I know, uh, neighbors, friends, uh, relatives, etc. And that shows me that I did the right thing. From the very beginning, I told people, protect yourselves with vitamin C, zinc, selenium, uh, vitamin D, uh, with body contact, etc. This needs to be trained. You need to make sure that your immune system is up to scratch. When it was made illegal uh, for people to sing in the uh, church, I was on the uh, church uh, board for many years, and all of a sudden, cribs uh, were shown on a screen rather than uh, by um, people who weren't allowed to sing anymore. When in 2020, um, uh, Christmas Eve, uh, no, 2021, I'm getting confused here now. No, it wasn't Christmas Eve 2020, it must have been. I uh, was, uh, the, the church board tried to uh, force me to wear a mask and I said, no, then I go up to on, the, um, um, on the gallery, um, where my son plays the organ, he's not afraid of me, and I'll um, w sing there without a mask. And I said, I won't allow uh, myself to be stopped from uh, singing in church. If you're not allowed to laugh and to uh, to sing, what kind of a society are we talking about? People were made completely panicked, um, and um, everybody thought that uh, everybody else could be their death. And I tried to take the fear away from people um, again and again. And that's why I had so many... Um, uh, clients, and that's why the uh, physician's chamber approached me, wanted to uh, penalize me, and then the judges and the public prosecutors came. They wanted to grind, grind me down. They wanted to take my practice away, and at least they managed to do that because now I have to live in Mexico, and I don't dare go back to Germany. That is just incredible. And I'm not the only one. I'm not the only physician. I'm, stand, I'm, I'm here speaking for all the others. I think it's great the how free and how uh, naturally you speak the truth without being fearful. I think it's very beautiful to see this. It's a great role model. I thank you for that. It's it's very good. Here's a question from the chat, and I'd really like to know where do you take that strength from? I have three children, I have five grandchildren. You're not alone. I had 80 to 90 percent of children and young people in my practice. I have to fight for them. It's our future. It's the future of our children and our grandchildren. You can't leave your children to these criminals of the WHO and transhumanism. If we don't get up now, who will? This transhumanism won't succeed. Don't be worried. But what's happening now? Well, what's happening now is bad enough. That's uh, not even humanism anymore. It is inhuman what's happening there. 
I have so many people who were blackmailed, who were coerced to these uh, poison vaccines. We have um, a, a video podcast every week, um, and they're keeping it on. It's uh, the crime scene vaccination, it's called, and we are... Uh, working against this, uh, and um, Professor Bhakti even said that he has taught the wrong things for 30 years. He's very critical. We've been doing this 20, 30 years. We all knew this. We were afraid that we would happen, see what's happening now. We have been fighting this for 30 years and all this enlightenment and in germany we have um, luckily no 100 percent maybe 25 30 percent of the people didn't get the shots and uh, i don't know um, if they got their vaccine passport something elsewhere i never did this i can understand the people who got their falsified passports and uh, so that they can work and uh, feed their children i can fully understand these people and maybe we at least made the these people to wake up. The resistance movement in Germany was the biggest, um, one of the biggest internationally, and uh, we should carry on with that. It's so important that we get a bigger platform, that we reach out to people. Um, so, uh, thousand, two thousand people um, is not enough. It's uh, we need more, um, more range, more reach. Um, we have just made a TV production with Rolfan Kingeler, who wrote a number of books on all of this. He completely took this all this narrative apart with statistics and everything. No vaccination helps. It all is just for damage. And I have people who had polio uh, vaccinating a uh, vaccination with a severe disease afterwards, with uh, epileptic fits, not non-treatable, severe disabilities it's pure madness what's going on all these sudden deaths um in uh, of, of toddlers and infants um they are injected with these toxic systems and uh, substances so um if uh, how do you think about not uh, having to have a passport not to be vaccinated everybody should have the right to decide what they put in their bodies and what not normally that is a guaranteed right in our basic law it's not for nothing that on the 18th of uh, November uh, 2020, we went to the uh, roads in Berlin because we wanted to stop that law from being passed. For us, it was so clear. Um, we warned for this against this from the beginning on, and I'm just uh, completely uh, confused and embarrassed to see others what this all is about and how others behavior it uh, makes me absolutely sad and um, that's it i used to be the head of a um, health board and we had our uh, medical service as well and they also um, administered vaccinations and i did myself i um, vaccinated people against the yellow fever so that they could enter certain areas and they got this vaccine with me so i uh, didn't have this critical view of vaccinations back then i only started 
seeing it critically uh, when uh, my child wanted to get a hepatitis B vaccine uh, vaccination. And I said, I won't support that because I um, have a bad conscience because I should have looked more critically at it earlier. We, I, I should have seen the uh, economic interest behind it that the vaccine is something where you administer medication to healthy people with the pretext that it would protect them. And the big problem is that it's very difficult to prove such a uh, protective effort um, um, effect. You need huge clinical studies uh, to prove this. I'm sure that the evidence for the vaccinations that have been administered for so many years now is very, very poor. And that many of my colleagues and myself did things uh, that we should have been much more critical uh, of. And I'm, I really regret this deeply. I can't take it back. But that is the training. That is what, you're, what you learn at the academies, what the professors tell you who at least uh, pretend like they knew what they're saying. <coughs> Um, so it's very difficult. You have to be much distrustful, uh, very distrustful in order to disbelieve this. You have to read a lot and you have to uh, think for yourself. And there used to be uh, events organized by anti-vaxxers. And as a public health officer, I uh, used to participate there. I thought it was an important discussion. And the Waldorf schools, for instance, insisted that um, children shouldn't be vaccinated and have a uh, great understanding for this, and I, I thought it was okay, and I uh, got into conflict with colleagues from the um, public health boards, and they wanted to increase the vaccination ratio, and they had um, real competitions going on who has the highest vaccination rate in their county, that sort of thing. So the whole scene, everything that's behind these vaccinations has to be re-evaluated, uh, and Dr. Bakhti isn't alone. Um, if he wonders what did I do there in the past, we all have to take a step back and take a look at what we were doing there and what will continue to be sold, not only regarding these new genetic um, jabs, but also the other things that are being sold there. We have to be much more critical, and I'm very grateful to you that you uh, are a pioneer in this context. Yes, we point this out again and again in 1967. It was 11 vaccines that um, the, the children had to get until they're 18 months old. Now we are in 37 and all the uh, vaccines are switched to mRNA now. That's additional madness because we have measles already connected to other child diseases and uh, this uh, makes that many children are surrendered to simple death. That's all. And it's uh, pure madness. Um, there is a new study, a Cook study that was initiated now. Another colleague who is also strongly criticized, he, she directs this together with the University in Wittenherdecke where unvaccinated, completely unvaccinated children are compared to completely and partially vaccinated children over a number of years. And uh, we had to keep up the design uh, from this university 
university. So it's a good study. And I hope that we'll find out what we have been predicting and what we see in practical day life every day. I see the children who didn't get a single shot. Um, they are the most healthy children, including my own children. My four grandchildren are completely unvaccinated. My uh, daughter became a doctor and uh, she told me that in the university they are t teaching the same stuff that they taught to you 30 years ago so they are just uh, learning by heart what they are supposed to learn and uh, then they do what they're supposed to do and my daughter and many many other uh, people are in stress because they issued vaccination um, permits and um, they got their hurt homes searched and so on and the mask uh, relief uh, certificates uh, so there's many people who are in front of court and they were condemned by courts and uh, people who don't have the money to fight all this and um, I there's many people who say I don't have four and a half thousand euros so they so they do it okay so pay 600 and you're out but then the uh, doctor is simply uh, surrendered because they agree to it and and uh, uh, if we, uh, they said they agreed to the deal, but to get out of it, although they knew they were sick people and they had a good reason for the certificate, and uh, so people are uh, suppressed, they are blackmailed. Also, the children who are not vaccinated uh, in the pediatric practice are not allowed. So the parents are put to the choice: either you, uh, your child is fully vaccinated, or it's not going to be treated and it's simply not taken in and uh, they the treatment is rejected so many many parents are hijacked by this i've not only seen this once or twice we have um uh, groups uh, of parents of un unvaccinated children and uh, together with Rolf Klon who's working in this and we have uh, very good things going on here many direct communication going on so, um, um, starting people to have uh, private kindergartens and not the public kindergartens. And so, people try to look for alternative possibilities to um, take care of children in private ways without being subjected to the vaccine mandates. And so, we do many, many things in Germany, especially with that team uh, of doctors um, who surrender to the Hippocratic oath um, and they um, are working together and the doctors chambers do not represent us at all I got uh, a, a fee a fine now um, from the um, data protection agency in Germany because I um, organized a demonstration with a um, brochure with my phone number on and shared that uh, and now they are charging me that I gave out patient data complete bullshit because I didn't send that to patients and you can look at it or not look at it so that's full 
stupidity, but the same authority didn't uh, complain that in my fourth uh, home search of the police, all the data of all my patients was taken away. 6,000 patients, uh, computers, everything was confiscated. And um, now the data who has nothing, of patients who have nothing to do with the certificates, they know where they were at the doctor, what diagnosis they've had, and so on. I told the policeman uh, that uh, when they th um, uh, stole these data, um, I asked them, what about if you go to a doctor and your your data is taken away and suddenly all your colleagues know that the diseases you have, the prosecutors know that, the judges know why you went to the doctor and why. So this privacy is a valuable good. We have to protect this. You can't just outlever this, and and uh, um, so you. It's just clear they wanted to shut us up. All doctors are supposed to carry on with the narrative. So this is why we have to state examples that we, why we have to um, punish one and teach a hundred. And um, that is what's going on. So the few courageous people who went forward, we are the cannon fodder here. Well, in terms of uh, data protection, there's no limits anymore now. Um, um, the uh, data protection is gone. If you look at all the data that is captured, all the data that has to be uh, passed on to telematics uh, goes all to Battlesman God knows where. They have the data. They know that uh, data is uh, are, are, uh, traded. Um, so these health data, during the COVID period, they were simply uh, used and, and, and um, captured. Luckily, all uh, physicians aren't participating in this. Some um, um, fight against this uh, data capturing. I think that's encouraging. I think we have to talk about this as well. Um, uh, disregarding the uh, the police action here, those are only a few cases where uh, the, the daily data access that we're tolerating now and that's happening ubiquitously now. That is a very topic, important topic. Yes, and also the uh, false certificates, uh, the so-called false certificates in the corona time, they um, told the doctors not to see the patients directly. And uh, so even uh, absences from work due to illness, that was possible without seeing the patient. And now uh, they are saying, uh, even though I looked at every patient personally and so on, so they're saying we are issuing false certificates and even falsifying them. So how can I, with my own signature and my stamp, falsify something like that that's literally impossible so um, the uh, certificates uh, it's like like I was issuing them freely but that was stupid and but people believed it so we were again and again pushed in the wrong way and this is this media um, activity against this and that killed us um, I was kicked out all the clubs I was kicked out my English course I was clicked out uh, now my my chorus in Durstadt I couldn't go to the supermarkets there was policemen there 
And there's a video on that uh, who said, no, you are not allowed to buy uh, things here and um, you are excluded uh, from the supermarket. So 30 years, I went there every week. Um, I, um, I was a good customer. I spent a lot of money. I behave well and everything just because I am the bad doctor who uh, is a shame for the whole city um, with all the negative press. I was not allowed to do my shopping there. So uh, life was turned into hell and it was a very, very few patients, well, many patients, but very, very few friends and uh, relatives who still uh, stand by me. Most of them turn away, say, well, um, we liked you, but we had to, we have to, uh, we cannot bear with you. If ever you was as radical, um, really agreed and stuck, stuck to the hypocritical oath and uh, followed the rules, we wouldn't have had all this uh, disaster as we're having it now. So there's still practices until today where you can only get in with a negative test, with a mask and so on and so forth. I was once in an um, um, uh, ear doctor uh, in during the time and I was kicked out of the waiting room because I didn't wear the mask. I had a certificate, of course, and I had to wait in the staircase until I could get in. And many patients are now that they have to stand out in the cold, wait there, because not because the waiting room is full, and well, then they stand outside, um, and it's cold in Germany in winter, and then they get even sicker, and people, why there's so many children um, with infections uh, to the hospitals nowadays. Well, probably so, different reasons. And they're all cold, fully vaccinated, and so on. And they always made sure by this full vaccination that the children are susceptible to diseases. Um, fully vaccinated children are much more susceptible to diseases. Well, it's such that um, if we vaccinate against one virus, and if we could actually make uh, people immune than the other viruses, um, well, happy days, because they compete with each other. And if we take out one from the equation, we make more room for the others. So it can't be any good. Every vaccination uh, against uh, coronavirus is pointless anyway. Yes, of course, if we uh, follow uh, uh, your theory, they don't want to know whether it's all uh, true with the virus theory, etc. <laughs> I'm not um, fully convinced. I don't know um, what the uh, final conclusion should be. Well, whatever you call it, which is uh, something is transmitted. I think that is something that we've all been through. But what you call is, is something that you should, uh, well, you need to find agreement on. Say this uh, study from Wittenherdeke, uh, is this ongoing? How long has it been ongoing? When can we expect any results? Well, this study will only yield results uh, years from now, but it will be a uh, first evaluation will uh, happen uh, in, the f in a year. Then um, it runs over 10 years. There will be interim uh, results that will be published. So it's called Cook study. Um, and I think you can register uh, to the end of the year. But we have a lot of unvaccinated children already so that we should be able to um, determine some findings there. It's a good thing. And these studies aren't necessarily uh, subsidized. They only subsidize uh, 
uh, proof that the vaccines are helpful, are um, effective, etc. Uh, hello, Ronnie. I can see you hello, already. Hello, Carola. Hello to everyone. We uh, have participated in uh, several demonstrations together and talked a lot to each other and uh, exchanged a lot of ideas. And I'm happy that uh, um, this uh, vaccination hotline has been uh, started now where people can report vaccination uh, damage now. That's a good job that you do there. Thank you. Thank you for the appraisal. Well, is there anything that we haven't touched upon that you would like to say? Otherwise, I suggest that we just go on um, uh, with uh, Ronnie Weiss. And um, you can, of course, stay on if you have time and if there are any things that uh, you want to add. <coughs> yes, and I would uh, also say that we have uh, filed a lawsuit in the International Court in Den Haag. And uh, in tedious uh, work, they put uh, over 200 pages together with lots of studies and so on, where it is clear proof that this experimental gene therapy is a biological weapon in order to reduce the uh, humankind. I think that's quite a good thing. Um, and the suspended uh, policeman, Markus Schleppel, also played a, an important role. He took them to Den Haag and supported them. So let's see what the outcome is here, because we see there's lots of explanation work, but there's always in, no result. I'm waiting for results from the Corona Committee that some things change and so on, that something is prohibited. So we have the 134th session, but what? where is the consequences? Where's the legal action? When has anything been tilted and so on? So I'm waiting for that. So somebody should take the action and really move it to a close um, that this uh, government can't act the way it can and the acts uh, and the legal um, uh, the laws are uh, named as what they are, which is illegal. And uh, I'm waiting for that. And then I hope that for Den Haag, that there will be a positive decision. Of course, I'm a bit fearful because many people in the courts are bought. I don't know what Den Haag is like there. So if the EMA is bought and 86% uh, of the people are paid by pharma, um, then you don't have to wonder that EMA brings things to the market which are of no good at all. And um, so, if everything is infiltrated, it's very difficult to uh, clear that swamp and uh, say that we work for the people and not for politicians or strange organizations, um, not for Bill Gates and others and the foundations and not for the EMA and not for the CDC and the FDA and whomever that may be. Uh, I think we should become independent, and that's something that I would encourage everybody to do. Decide on their own common sense, in the sense of their family, in the sense of the society they live in and they want to live in. Well, hoping for the courts. We're, we're quite skeptical, of course. So we can see uh, that the uh, Supreme uh, um justice in Germany was installed by uh, politicians and um, he behaves that way. He, he sings from their song sheet and he doesn't uphold the constitution, doesn't uh, um, impl implement it. 
if um, uh, well, it's very rare for any case to go all the way to the Supreme Court, and then the Supreme Court tends to uphold what the uh, government uh, say. And if that is uh, the yardstick, well, then there's little hope. We always hoped that uh, there would be uh, cases with actual uh, uh, with actual findings and hearings, and we had it with the soldier's case, and that then the decision is, the sentence is according to what politicians want. Well, that means that uh, we can't really have much hope anymore for the courts to uh, take our side. I have much more hope that people wake up and won't go along with it anymore and that no politician will have any chance who's not uh, who's still going along with this nonsense. So that's my hope. And uh, what we've seen in the media, uh, that's very important. As long as they keep telling people the same thing and they are given the impression that they're uh, not alone and the, the, the media keep backing up this nonsense day after day. That is something that has come to has to come to an end, and there must be journalists who are critical, and um, who uh, challenge these psychopaths, psychopath. Um, but it, it's becoming more and more. Um, it, it only happens if we're courageous, like you show us. Quite clearly, and what I also think is that this gallery of horror on the um, vaccination explanation. That's something that should be put up in every city that uh, people are brought to this at a low level. I think more than demonstrations and things like that, I think it's good if people stand up and solidarize and uh, get the power from all that rallies. I um, got to know many, many great people in this, and these people give me the power and the energy to do this, and they have initiated great things. Um, we have uh, our association. We have... Um, the white bird and we have everything if you want to have good people it's the homeopathic the anthroposophic doctors the natural doctors um so uh, give donations give donations to specific doctors to support them uh, because we, we need your help. We need the help of the people to get out of this. I don't have two, three, four hundred thousand euros to uh, take these legal pursuits. Um, that will uh, evaporate everything which I have ever built, and I would uh, have to take loans until infinity. So we are not able to stand through this alone. We have to hope for the solidarity of the people who help us through this. I think that is very important. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, we can only do it together, but together we can. And uh, the committee, that is an archive, actually. Um, we probably uh, have spoken to 500 experts and witnesses by now. It's a huge network that um, has emerged here where we can uh, always contact people if we have questions. But I do think that if you um, imagine that we didn't have that, how much less would we know? How uh, many uh, expert opinions wouldn't have been written? Um, but it's unfortunate, like uh, Wolfgang is saying, there is uh, a lot of um, ossification in the uh, courts. Um, 
cases are being rejected because no judge wants uh, to be the first one to pull the plug. Because if somebody comes up with a uh, an appropriate judgment, as we saw with Christian Detmar, this judge, um, uh, they were obviously so scared that uh, all they could do was to um, intervene because it could have led to a different situation. Oh, let's take a look at uh, uh, the situation. Um, Oh, a judge had a different view. Oh, did we take the diff the wrong view here? That could have been the case in an evidence-based uh, environment, but um, the, the opposite happened. It was actually um, not in line with um, the government approach. And in um, the Netherlands, we heard that they um, had uh, 30 cases and they can't, um, 30 lawsuits, and they can't continue, and they discontinued their activities now. Um, Great. So um, I think it's great that you should be so committed here. Thank you very much. And um, you uh, showed a, a lot of nerve there, actually. And I hope that you will remain um, strong and um, resistant despite your limitations, your restrictions. But you're a good role model to stand up for what you've seen as the right thing. Thank you for the invitation to the Corona Committee. I think that Rina Komon had a, had her share in this. She's a good friend of mine. I've met her a couple of times. She's uh, participated in our video shows and uh, she supported us with emails. And uh, so it's, it's good and uh, we're happy to be heard. She's a great woman as well. Well, she was here and she got a lot of uh, enthusiastic comments as well because she's really great. I can see uh, that we still have a, um, a picture um, which is about the um, yes, this uh, is crime scene vaccination. This is uh, our show of today. We're going to uh, publish this on uh, tonight. And um, he's the doctor who put all of this together and takes takes the narrative apart and Katya reports on how things go on in America. Uh, she has a natural practice as well and she's on our side as well. She grew up in Germany, she studied in Germany and uh, did her doctorate in America because she married there, she stayed there, she visited us here and we connected before and uh, so we are in good friendship contact and she'll be on the show tonight. So that is a recommendation. And um, even if uh, 24 media cannot take it on, we would get more range. We would be happy um, because Rolf Krohn and I, we do important work here. Um, as we've been uh, working in this for 30 years, uh, we have great knowledge. We invite the right people. We got Beata Banner and others, many doctors. Ronnie is going to be in one of the shows as well. He just had too much to do, too little time, but we've got a good um, show. Heiko Schöning was there and many others. Bodo Schiffmann is someone who we want to get in, but um, if he has time. <clears throat> so it's important to carry on with that show. Okay, well then, um, best of luck and um, keep a stiff upper lip. Yes, greetings to Germany. Well, thank you very much. That's really crazy. 
So uh, we had uh, Dr. Coral Javid Kissel, uh, Kissel here who spoke about her experience with um, um, the corona period, her commitment and the uh, persecution by the state um, because she issued um, um, mask um, incapacity um, certificates. Now we have another guest who um, has suffered a similar a similar fate. Um, Ronald Michael, he's a specialist in gynecology and obstetrics. He's uh, the vice chairman of MW uh, GFD um, Incorporated uh, Association. It's the uh, medical association of uh, physicians that uh, Dr. Bhakti is a member of as well, which um, got incorporated at the very beginning of the COVID crisis. Um, and which um, has uh, spoken out against these um, excesses that we've seen. What is your um, status right now? Hello, Viviana. Uh, I was uh, very happy to uh, see colleagues like Corolla and Wolfgang. What happened with me is that after two main um, uh, cases, one in uh, the court of Passau, eight uh, hearings on the 2nd of May, um, there was a sentence. What I was accused of was that of the 1,096 mask certificates, um, mask refusal uh, certificates that I issued uh, that the uh, police found when they uh, searched my practice and my private uh, residence uh, in December of uh, 21. And with the 1,000 attestations that they found, there were so many because we had called on all colleagues to support us and um, colleagues, uh, customers who have complaints to uh, check whether uh, mask can be uh, mask um, um, incapacitation certificates couldn't be issued and uh, a lot of uh, patients uh, saw me then. And of these 1,096, 95 were um, um, singled out because the patients never uh, saw me apparently. And in the end, 78 cases remained of so-called incorrect um, health certificates. We uh, should mention what the paragraph is uh, named. Uh, under which uh, these certificates are supposed to be a crime. And in the first um, uh, case, I was uh, sentenced to pay uh, 50,000 euro uh, of a um, uh, fine, one year of suspended sent, uh, imprisonment, and I'm no longer allowed to issue um, mask certificates. Um, and the um, um, public prosecutor demanded a much higher fine. So it's the suspended uh, imprisonment um, and the 50,000 euro fine. We appealed against this. So uh, we went uh, through a number of individual court dates. Now the 78 cases of the first uh, case uh, were left, uh, the 24 were left, and the 24 uh, cases that have been criticized were largely mothers whose um, description of their children's complaints um, earned them a um, uh, an attestation certificate um, without the children coming to my uh, practice. 
And uh, why should I not uh, accept their description and nor uh, did the judge accept this? If the parents uh, describe this, then the children will have uh, these complaints. So um, he only complained that I uh, would have to see uh, the individual that is covered by an attestation. Uh, so I would have to look at the children myself. That's what uh, he said. Now the uh, sentence was one year imprisonment suspended uh, and 50,000 euro fine courts, uh, fine plus court costs. And of course, uh, we um, will appeal uh, against this in the uh, Supreme Court of Bavaria because we can't accept it. And I um, um, explained why I can't accept it and I appealed a video appeal to all um, lawyers, um, um, civil service judges, um, prosecutors and jurors. Um, Wolfgang um, has said that there won't be any fair um, judgments anymore in German courts, but I hope that we will have an honest uh, judge who will remember the uh, oath of office that he uh, at some stage uh, gave. Um, I hope that we can build a just and equitable society. I haven't lost the hope. Nevertheless, uh, the uh, public prosecutor considers uh, con uh, continues to insist on a uh, on two years of imprisonment and uh, three years um, of uh, suspension of my license. But luckily, the court didn't follow this. Demand. We've just had this before that people could report sick to take absence from work by phone. And here we have to assume that people tell you the truth on the phone. Otherwise, it would have been possible. It sounds to uh, a weird discrepancy here. Yes, true. We pointed that out as well, that uh, in this entire period of the pandemic, so-called pandemic, there were new uh, rules applicable that you could actually issue a sick cert, uh, which is such a certificate as well, without seeing the patient. So then why shouldn't you be able to uh, issue a masked uh, cert? And if you look at the wording of this uh, para, uh, Article 287 um, of the um, Criminal Code, under which uh, I was tried, there was a, a, an old version which was unfortunately adjusted in the pandemic uh, the times. It's unbelievable how fast um, Parliament will simply change and modify a law that has been working for decades. But most uh, it applies, uh, the version that applied until the November of last year uh, says that uh, doctors who issue an incorrect uh, certificate um, about the health of a patient uh, against better knowledge will be fined with imprisonment or a fine. Now imagine, on the one hand, an incorrect uh, certificate, if I write uh, for um, severe uh, uh, health concerns, um, this person cannot uh, wear a mask, then I don't make a, a statement about their health. And it wasn't meant to be submitted to insurance companies or the authorities. That was another part of this uh, act, That uh, another requirement. Well, in schools, whether they're an authority, the, the, the uh, school board, yes, but not the school teachers, that's not an authority. So I never met this requirement. And who wants to um, um, 
prove that we did that against better knowledge. That is a necessary requirement. And this is a so-called conditio sine qua non. So if you're not, uh, if you don't do it against better knowledge, then you don't um, violate this 278, uh, this article. And it wasn't made uh, against masks uh, certs, but health certs uh, that you need to um, get uh, become a civil uh, servant or to get a license as an airplane pilot or something, or to make a cheaper uh, sign a cheaper. Um, life insurance contract or whatever, so then it might have an impact uh, where I, when I do that against better knowledge, then that might be a violation of Article 278. But in Germany, under the so-called uh, legality requirement, nulla punis in lega, so no uh, crime, no punishment without a law. And I would claim most colleagues agree who issued these certificates that this uh, Article 278 is not the right uh, article. There is none that makes it a, cr a crime, uh, in my view. And uh, the public prosecutors in some uh, states in Germany uh, see it the same way, who uh, discontinued <coughs> these court cases immediately. But if you look at the objective of this original version of that paragraph, it's a kind of, um, you don't want to, you want to, stop people helping to do any fraud for example if you don't um, if you're not fit to fly um, <clears throat> the doctor says he is uh, fit to fly but he can't because they have a fear neurosis and are not capable so that may lead to severe damage but this thing here is very difficult to see where there is the potential damage in the dimension that this is such a punishment, that subject to such a pu punishment can't be seen, really. Well, if I issue a um, um, clean bill of health to <coughs> a, uh, a pilot without uh, checking, uh, for instance, with the, with the boosters that they got, um, without checking whether they have uh, side effects, and I know that uh, there, there's a potential for side effects, then I would have to be held liable as well. So, just uh, against the backdrop of what we heard earlier, how uh, people turn um, their head on uh, the risk uh, posed by vaccinated pilots, I think that's a huge contradiction, I think. Yeah, it's very shocking, Wolfgang. I share that view. There are so many things um, said against a better knowledge, and nobody uh, complains about this. And that was also what I tried to appeal to the judge to demand that the most important thing, from my point of view, is uh, the very clear scientific facts on the mask wearing. There is no study, and there have never been any that shown that showed that the mask wearing brings uh, provides any protection against respiratory diseases. And we know that it is a health threat, especially for children, pregnant people, and uh, uh, um, vulnerable people. <clears throat> and uh, this leads to severe um, uh, possible uh, diseases and that the legal people without uh, for uh, getting diplomatic reasons to sweep this under the rug and this uh, very important facts are not put on the table and that's only one thing where, uh, where we can say this is something that we have to see and this is actually what guided our 
um, us doctors to uh, do that. Uh, probably you know that Zelensky study, which was published in 21 already, saying that um, the doctors uh, following the Hippocratic Oath uh, should uh, issue such certificates because the 65 studies that they looked at in the meta-analysis found that there is no evidence for mandatory mask wearing and that there are many um, medical areas have shown a potential damage. And this is something that has to be put on the table in court and the judges however they um, want to stick with politics they really have to look at the facts and then uh, consider this and if they do consider this then the next step would be to immediately demand that all of this is immediately dropped all the proceedings are dropped and uh, the people who uh, are um, allegedly issuing or who allegedly issued wrong certificates are uh, set free and then um, the judges and the prosecutors could uh, really look at the actual problems that we have which is the things that are going on in context in the context of the vaccinations that's the biggest hope that this will happen <clears throat> and um, that's going to be the work for the legal people in the civil service. Um, everybody knows it, but they don't want to agree to it yet. Has there been any um, disclosure um, in your case uh, where all these uh, studies have been uh, compared? Uh, was there something um, or did they avoid that? Well, actually, in the second, uh, in the appeal, we... Um, filed applications for evidence uh, asking for experiments for example Werner Berkholz who is part of the uh, um, the uh, <clears throat> committee on the federal uh, government and we wanted to ask a number of doctors saying on how these certificates are said uh, Werner Berkholz as a physician could have told us that the physical effect of the masks alone is not enough to protect uh, people's uh, health but but that was rejected as not necessary but these are exactly the things that we can pick up on the in the appeal uh, insisting on this and so i think that we will be able to deliver an expertise and in the uh state courts, <clears throat> we will hopefully find this evidence looked at and uh, being evaluated respectively. Well, um, you mentioned earlier and Ms. Um, Grabschein um, um, referred to the nonsense of mask wearing um, uh, to prevent um, infection uh, long before uh, COVID started, and she submitted that in the process uh, in, in the court case in Weimar. So there's um, the right um, um, statements. You need to find the right people who dare uh, speak out in court. Well, the evidence is so um, obvious. Uh, you know, Wolfgang, we uh, co-financed a study uh, supporting a study where 45 children 
had measurements uh, taken in Baden-Württemberg, and I uh, participated as a doctor myself. That was in May of last year. 45 uh, children were measured while wearing FFP2 masks. And within a few minutes, one, two, three minutes, the uh, CO2 concentration um, in the uh, air inhaled uh, increased on average by more than uh, uh, to more than the uh, six-fold value of the limit value uh, considered healthy or um, acceptable. And that was only after a few minutes. And you have to imagine children wear this for hours and hours. And one child, a girl who uh, wanted to uh, compensate for the lack of oxygen by uh, um, breathing fast, uh, she had a 5% um, uh, ratio of CO2. That's more than 12 times what is allowed by um, the authorities. And so we have to expect that a lot of children suffered a lot of damage, uh, sometimes maybe even uh, lasting damage. And another um, a participant in the study uh, made an expert opinion, uh, wrote an expert opinion, um, so uh, summarizing the results. We have made it available um, on um, our website, and I um, can only recommend everyone to use that in court. And we uh, would also uh, speak out in favor for all the other colleagues, uh, Carola, Rolf Krohn, um, and many, many others, who, according to their best knowledge, um, did what they felt they had to do. And uh, they're now in uh, court, and they have to spend money. And I hope that we can support them. And if we can get a good uh, judgment in our appeal, I hope that this would have um, an impact on the other courts. I think uh, some judges will be happy to be able to rule differently after that. Yeah, one would hope so. So, um, in many other uh, um, cases um, that were um, pursued in courts, uh, like demonstrations, etc., that were simply um, allowed to peter out and they don't uh, continue those cases anymore. And it's in. Uh, Incredible to see that this uh, keeps going here all the time. Um, so we really need a um, seminal um, court case now. Maybe that is what they're afraid of, so that people could um, uh, sue for damages if people actually suffered uh, uh, damage from these masks. So that's maybe the impression. What was your impression of the um, judges, the public prosecutor? They were all um, in on the government line, so they were um, fully convinced of uh, what you uh, The attorney of law, of course, was a full hardliner. I wondered how cheeky he was to present these things as if it was quite normal. And once I uh, caught him to talk, I didn't uh, keep down. I uh, voiced my opinion very clearly. And and that was in the second appeal. Uh, there was a mother who was invited, who had a seven-year son who got a certificate, and he had massive um, problems. And a different doctor even gave her a second certificate because um, she knew that my certificates were poor, brought to doubt because in the press I was defamed. And she got a second attest, and the police uh, picked her up on uh, Saturday morning, fully armed, telling her that she had committed a crime and she used a falsified uh, certificate with a high fine and a year of prison. 
and according to 276 uh, civil code and she was really taken aback on that and they did that with all the vis uh, witnesses and we um, said that um, we have um, had that we that is what we provided in court and that we um, said that the uh, policemen were <clears throat> Uh, sent to the people, to the witnesses, and uh, uh, threatened by the police, and then they tried to say as if they wanted to back out. So this woman that I want to talk about, she stood up, said, no, I'm not going to say anything different. I'm hard. And she was prosecuted with uh, uh, paying uh, 1,600 euros, a um, single mother, with her children and um, when she was out I said uh, you the prosecution you are the prosecutor don't you have a bad consciousness if you do this he didn't answer to that but it was important for me to um, voice this <clears throat> so the prosecutor is a real hardliner and that really shows how uh, problematic our balance of powers is uh, so politics and uh, legal ministries, I would have imagined the judge to be more free and then the second judge who tried to uh, proceed fair was really the charge that um, he said that in 24 cases where I haven't seen the children, he as a 30, as a doctor with 30 years of experience, he said you could have missed something difficult and severe in that child and uh, um, the the lawyer told me not to answer that, um, but as a doctor, I can very well distinguish a uh, description if a mother tells me my child is very healthy except when she wears a mask, and um, it's different when, from a mother telling me that uh, my child always has a problem and when then now it has to wear a mask, then of course I would have said uh, that um, I had to see the child and I think this is very inappropriate of the judge to say this and our professional code of conduct clearly rules out that um, we are not subject to anybody who is not professional in our decisions and um, <clears throat> so no politician no judge is allowed to tell us uh, what we think is medically needed and what not when did this uh, uh, obligation kick in that uh, people address you uh, wanting to have a sick cert or something um, uh, aren't you obliged if the uh, patient doesn't want it to examine them um, head to toe um, uh, they could be um, a patient with other uh, doctors with uh, symptoms, other symptoms that the child has. Now, if they approach you, it's a bit strange to say you could overlook something. Well, do I really have to examine every patient who doesn't see well? Do I have to check him for um, some other disease? Well, I agree. Uh, I can see Corolla is uh, um, raising her hand she wants to say something about it Volcom probably has something to say on it we make a distinction i think that based on our experience we know where do we need to um 
act quick? Where do we trust in uh, what our patients tell us? Um, we always have to trust what our patients tell us. Why should I doubt it all? And we can see if something is credible or not. So I don't have to examine, uh, examine every patient who uh, gives me a credible description. And as you said, in issuing six herds uh, by phone, that's what they did wholesale. <clears throat> I don't know. Um, Ms. Kistel? Yeah, I just would like to give you a, um, a concrete example. One patient of mine was taken to court. She has, for she's my age, uh, 56 years old. She has hearing aids that she got from the um, 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 f uh, ear doctor. And uh, she was, because of that, she was um, excluded from the uh, mask uh, mandate. And um, nevertheless, I was told that uh, I sh uh, didn't treat her well, so I shouldn't rely on the patient's um, statement, who's a good friend of mine, whom I know, who was here with uh, hearing aid. I know about her um, um, hearing problems, and I didn't treat her uh, correctly. And she was uh, sentenced. She paid more than three and a half thousand euro. She's going uh, to appeal against this. Just imagine, I have so many other patients who had clear prior conditions where I, of course, didn't um, uh, examine them additionally anymore. I have the letters by the uh, by my colleagues who uh, claim that they have a severe post-traumatic stress disorder or that they have um, a, a traumatized from childhood or whatever. I don't have to further examine them anymore. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, we are um, uh, faced with some experts uh, in the um, uh, court cases, you didn't act properly, you can't evaluate that within a quarter of an hour, and that's not sufficient, and that's that. And then uh, these people are just sentenced. So you get um, uh, residential searches, police searches, they're um, uh, sentenced, and they can't go to appeal always. There's um, uh, uh, th These are uh, dramatic developments for individuals. Um, it's really unbelievable what's happening here. Those are political decisions, political sentences, nothing but. There's another thing, which is this so-called security medicine, where they do lots of lots of examinations, which you can invoice because you want to be really sure. And so then, unfortunately, you have to um, take down your pants, and we have to do a, a, um, a, in in a, uh, experiment here and and <clears throat> so on. So that is something that is very very difficult to. Uh, judge what is uh, indicated and what not um, to get the right uh, result for the patient. This is something that the doctor has to judge um, by knowing about the person as such, the history, the work situation, the life situation that they're in. If you know that as someone who is a sportsman uh, running several kilometers every day you don't have to do an ekg every time or if you know it's a munition who plays the violin you don't have to test their hearing capacity so you have an overall picture from of the patient luckily for the patients um uh, dear judge if you were a patient and i did all of that for you you would be quite cross so that is really bullshit what they are saying that is factual bullshit and i think 
some of the attorneys will see this and prosecutors will see that I had to do this as in my role as a medical uh, officer and um, when they wanted to get retired and so I saw them as the um, as patients and they're normal people really that was a good plea Wolfgang I think I concur um, uh, there are some mottos in medicine um, always do as much as necessary and as little as possible so um, shouldn't we um, demand that if somebody um, claims a crime that somebody suffers a damage as long as we know scientifically uh, neither uh, the person who got a, a cert um, got damaged nor did society get damaged because we know that the uh, masks have no positive effect so nobody got damaged on the contrary I think that we actually had to act that way in order to, pr to uh, prevent damage we know that a lot of people uh, suffered a lot from wearing masks <clears throat> a lot of people collapsed um, or had to suffer a lot and I think that uh, we compare that to the damage caused even the uh, macroeconomic uh, damage that people are possible of uh, getting a, a six shot by just calling in I'm not claiming that everyone um, being a simulant who just calls up but it's relatively easy to just call in and uh, call in sick and uh, get a six shot for a week and that certainly does create some um, macroeconomic damage you don't do this today you get a positive test and you call it COVID nowadays so often they are false positive and that gives you a nice holiday you feel great the test is positive you can stay at home it's much easier today what madness is that going on I have another question or it's coming from the audience now um, the financial issue now uh, I don't know about you but the mask uh, starts um, it was sometimes claimed that people do it because of the money um, that they issue so many uh, masters because it's a money-making machine uh, what about you how, how do you see this well thank you for that question in my case I thought that uh, as I called the colleagues for that and probably I got many and I decided for these people at least in the beginning uh, June to December I didn't charge uh, anybody for that but a colleague who says they have to charge it I have to say okay I didn't do it because I didn't want to um, make money on the emergency of a patient if somebody else uh, needed something else I may have charged it if they are privately as a genolocalist I can't uh, have children or uh, males uh, they didn't get um, the uh, certificate free of charge and uh, I thought it's okay for me I don't have to do that but if you um, do that with the normal fee I think that is quite okay I want to speak for all the colleagues who did it and uh, I um, quoted Jens Bengen when I uh, called that you all know him and he looked at the scientific facts at the time and he provided an internet uh, test uh, which the um, people could print out where he certified that there are medical reasons why wearing a mask in public is not possible for them <clears throat> and uh, 
the prosecution unfortunately went so far that he uh, committed suicide and i think this man has worked properly and professionally as a doctor and i think it is time for all the doctors who did it are rehabilitated by everybody well what can you how much can you earn with a uh, cert if you um, just invoice normally for it well it depends on how extensive the examination is let's say 20 30 euro if it's just a quick cert it's 15 euro that would be the normal fee, I'd say. It depends a bit on how much time you spend, um, how long do you need to talk to a patient. Um, if I um, spend more time, I often uh, charge 30 euro for other certs now. But if, on the other hand, you see that doctor, some isn't there, wasn't there one pediatric doctor who uh, gave out 20,000 jabs? for something that is very, very critical. I think it's a bit of a discrepancy here. The um, certificates the, uh, to protect the people you know, they have problems or you get problems, or what we had, they had a prostomatic uh, trauma because people were tortured before that they feel unwell, which is, um, so you um, turn damage away from the patient and with Absolutely. the injections, you don't know what you, give to the patient because that's not sufficiently examined. So there should be the same criteria applied there. These are two different things. If you tell someone, uh, don't put on a mask, uh, um, then it's a recommendation. And if you issue a uh, certificate, it's a different, uh, it's a separate service. Maybe I can add to this. We were charged that these were um, tests for uh, friendliness and actually I documented all I explicitly consulted and examined examined the <clears throat> uh, patients and I invoiced it to the health assurance so it was uh, 25 or 20 or 35 euros so quite reasonable in order to cover that uh, challenge that I just issued courtesy attestations. Uh, so this is why I correctly invoiced this, except from people where I never invoiced anything because they are friends or relatives or things like that. You usually don't do that. If I know, <clears throat> as I uh, saw it with uh, 20 patients or so, that they had uh, oxygen values uh, that are way too low um, um, after the uh, behind the mask. Uh, you can see that with these. Uh, you can measure this. You can see a drop in the oxygen level. It, it just decreases. And you don't have to do it with every single person. If you know that it happens, that is caused by the mask. It's something that just happens every time. If the mask. Uh, suits well, then that happens. Then there's um, re-inhalation of CO2, and uh, we know that. And if you put um, um, a plaster on somebody's arm, you know that you have to be careful. We know that there are uh, side effects, and we know with a mask, we have these side effects, and you don't have to measure and prove it and document it every single time. No, that's the way it is. 
And I'm, I'm just thinking of um, examinations in um, health and safety at work. I um, did uh, those kinds of examinations. And it's obvious that if you wear uh, dust protection masks, um, they're meant for that. Then you're allowed to wear them for 17 minutes, and then you have to have a half-hour break. And the, the next time you wear it, you have to take a new one. That's safety, um, labor safety. And people need to be inducted in it. It's uh, labor safety. It's the same masks. And that uh, children are simply given those masks uh, without examining them. That was grossly negligent. Yeah, that's massive uh, and madness. And as a gynecologist, I work with pregnant women. And in Bavaria, there are still some hospitals that oblige the um, <clears throat> delivering women to wear a mask. And um, we have posted this on our page, the long night of uh, mass on the 22nd of uh, September. Wolfgang was there, uh, 23 experts looking at all the different aspects of mask wearing. And Christian Fierler, he was a gynecologist colleague from Vienna, um, showed us what this is like for pregnant women, that they have a high oxygen saturation level and low uh, CO2 partial pressure um, because that is um, the metabolism of the child. The child has to um, deliver the CO2 into the placenta and uh, take on the oxygen. And if I change this in the woman and I increase the CO2 pressure in the blood of the woman and that means I hurt the child and uh, it is a shame for all doctors, everybody who has a little brain left between their ears, they must know that they can't do this. <clears throat> Well, the head physicians of these uh, um, maternity wards who tolerate this, they have to tell uh, these things to their staff. They need to be named and shamed on the Internet. Absolutely. They uh, damage the children. It's uh, They have to be named. And quite clearly, that has to be made public. You can't do this. In this doctor, in this hospital, in this department, pregnant women have to wear these things and the newborn babies are possibly damaged there and harmed. Uh, although everybody who knows about hospital hygiene, um, that a mask doesn't help. It's not indicated at all. So this is something that's so absurd and you should do that in all um, every flu, you should have that. Nobody ever thought of wearing a mask. You gave her um, a, a, a handkerchief to blow her nose, and that was it. And so it's so absurd. And I think you have this has to be documented. So a lead doctor who, in their department, tolerates this, have to has to be published, and this has to be able to read up read up later. That's a great idea, Wolfgang. We'll uh, get back to that. You're completely right. And we can only shake our heads at how physicians and the others that they don't go, uh, that just go along, they should really protest against it. And we know from uh, um, medicine that um, Mothers giving birth are nearly always healthy, and if she catches the flu a few days before delivery, it is usually 
procrastinate is delayed by nature, so she only falls ill after delivering. So we have to assume that a delivering mother hardly uh, is any infectious risk ever, and it's a shame that this still is ongoing in Germany. And uh, we can only hope that everybody um, who, who suffers this, who sees this, please report it uh, to MFG, and then we can publish this. Actually, I think that's a good idea that we'll get back to. Hospital hygiene as well. If there is staff working with weakened uh, people, but a pregnant woman is not I'm immune weakened. It's very, very rare. Normally, she's healthy, as you've said. And the people around uh, the doctors, the midwives, and so that they wear a mask is absurd as well. Because if they themselves, they're not going to be infected, but if they have an infect, then they are not capable of work. They are incapabilized. And uh, uh, so if you uh, walk around the hospital with a big flu and carry on working, possibly you, they will <clears throat> um, put patients at X risk. So they have to be incapacitated immediately. And if they have no symptoms and they can't work, then the mask is stupid. Uh, so it's absurd. Welcome. Didn't it surprise you or Corolla that our colleagues in the hospitals are so willing to go along there? They should, uh, that they're harming themselves, even if they have uh, strong lungs, and uh, but always wearing these things. That's completely pointless. It's enough if you have to wear a surgical mask, uh, mask in um, the ICU for certain jobs, but normally it's not necessary. And I wonder how long will our colleagues go along with this? I, it keeps reminding me um, uh, to the, the Greek ferry that took me home after my um, uh, holidays, where they said every half hour there's a mask mandate uh, here. Nobody um, abided by it, uh, except for maybe 2% Germans, um, and nothing happened. So I wonder when will we lemming stop uh, going along? Yeah, quite right. And um, actually here we have officials who have no idea about uh, health issues, at least not per se, they um, obstruct the uh, professional capacity of the people working in health. What do you think Are about you talking that? talking to me now? So it's the professional behavior which is being obstructed here for political reasons. Yeah, of course. Uh, no physician should go along with that. I would uh, refer back to my um, um, professional regulations, um, and I'd say that I can I can determine what is right or wrong. And in my practice, all the reasonable uh, hygiene measures have been taken, and we've always been doing that uh, forever, and we know how to do it. And uh, Wolfgang. Um, excessive hygiene um, is no good. Um, uh, the wards where there's most um, disinfection going on, that's where you have the largest number of germs. And there's a book out that uh, shows that hygiene is no good. You need time to wash your hands and you need enough staff for that. That's what the bosses should be told. And uh, I think that many people have a bad conscience on that. And uh, would you notice that uh, health insurance companies are coming on board with um, information? Um, has anything become more clear for them? 
They could provide lots of stuff. Uh, the scientific institutes of the health insurances know exactly what the diagnostics were done and all the data is there on the invoicing in the doctors in the hospitals the diagnosis you should see very very many things looking at that and things that have changed by the measures and what was done to the people that would be very very interesting to analyze this and that is still pending nobody is addressing that no publications whatsoever well um if it's obvious where we're going, um, if somebody says we can uh, prove something, I think they're all afraid of uh, being hit if they are uh, come out first. Well, it's not just the federal government and the FX should do this and uh, clarify these things. And uh, uh, they even get paid for that. And they would do it. Mr. Wendell said he's uh, crossed that he wasn't asked so it is they have been surrounded they have been passed by they are not asked whether it makes sense or not it's just uh, uh an exercise of obedience uh you can see on the mask whether somebody plays along or not and they want to single those out who don't precisely so that's the um commands uh, spirit of our days Okay, Ronnie, is there anything that you want to add? You are restricted in time. Well, Viviana, I'd be happy if a few people, um, what we put on the website now at um, MFWG, um, the appeal, even if it's uh, supposed to be naive now, um, if I uh, address uh, the judges as a physician being condemned, sentenced to a year in prison, I uh, didn't want to be disrespectful here. I just um, uh, spoke openly with you. I was just saying, please open your eyes. Uh, don't be fooled anymore. I just wanted to point out that the most important thing is that they actually deal with the dramatic uh, developments um, in the context of these so-called vaccinations. We uh, should be guided by other countries, Philip Cruz in Switzerland, for instance, who um, is attacking and, and uh, suing Swiss medic with great um, uh, great line of reasoning and I hope that soon enough the courts can finally get active kick into action and that's appeal maybe will uh, get somewhere if you know um, someone um, among your friends who's a, a public prosecutor um, a judge please download it from our channel and, and and give it to them I remember a big event in Mainz in the criminal police school in uh, corruption in health systems they invited me to give a presentation on that topic so i was there in transparency and i participated in a training session for criminal investigators and prosecutors and judges and i offer to do that again um, if we look at the corruption in experimental vaccines i will be able to talk there great great idea wolfgang okay thank you ronnie to keep us update here updated and i'm grateful that you um 
are carrying on. Every step that we take helps us to move on and to see how transparent the system is. And um, we see there is applications for evidence and so on. And how come they are not approved? How come they are rejected? They have to do with the ruling and the possible punishment. And so I hope that this is going to be looked at. And uh, best would it all subsumize this elsewhere. Well, thanks, Viviana. Uh, thanks for allowing me uh, to speak here uh, on behalf of all colleagues who have been issuing uh, this kind of um, uh, certificate. I hope that this is uh, soon over. Uh, so thanks for allowing me to uh, speak here. Um, unfortunately, I have to go now because I have another appointment. So, But still, uh, greetings and all the best to you. Thank See you. Bye-bye. That was Ronnie Weichel. He was a gynecologist. And he was uh, condemned in a mask certificate lawsuit. We'll see what the further outcome of that is going to be. And now we can welcome our next guest, uh, Professor Dr. Johann Mislowitz. He was a forensic pathologist and a remitted uh, professor. Professor Mislowitz, I'm happy to welcome you. Good afternoon. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Let me just briefly introduce you from uh, 1975 to 2014. You were a physician at the Forensic Medicine in Vienna, later in the Department for Forensic Medicine in the Medical University of Vienna. You wrote a, wrote a book, uh, What the Dead Tell Us Memories from Forensic Medicine in Vienna. Maybe you want to comment on your CV or tell us what moves you in the Corona theater. Well, in 2019, I was thinking that I'm over medicine and forensics and that I can dedicate myself more to my hobbies. And then all of this thing happened and I slid into it. That's the brief summary of how things got started. And you have filed a suit against a politician, Johanna Mittelleitner. That's correct. This is the first um, complaint, I, uh, the third, sorry, uh, complaint that I submitted. I had submitted a complaint against the, the former president and the chancellor because they um, obliged me to stay at home. And um, they went around um, without masks and um, uh, drinking uh, sparkling wine. And that really uh, made me irate. And, uh, but I was unsuccessful with these complaints. And this is the third one now. And of course, I know that uh, the public prosecutor will not um, respond to it by um, uh, filing a lawsuit. Um, that's not the way uh, things happen. It's more like I'm trying to think ahead like a chess player, like two uh, rounds ahead. Um, it is um, about um, Austria's 
largest um, state, uh, Lower Austria, and um, I'm complaining that she is endangering uh, people, but I don't want to let her uh, get away with, oh, I didn't know, nobody told me that this could be dangerous, and so I'm waiting for the uh, first uh, severely damaged child, and then there will be another complaint not uh, for general um, endangerment, but uh, with a complaint for um, bodily uh, harm or uh, gross negligence and um, um, homicide. We have Professor Puschel from Hamburg, who was the first to carry out post-mortems after a person who had a positive test and then the finding was that only a few people died uh, caused by corona. Did you follow this up? You are in that area. Did you uh, carry out um, post-mortems or things like that as well? Well, in Austria, um, um, just like in Germany, there's very little um, um, uh, autopsy performed, so um, the ratio is 8 to 10 percent, so for every one autopsy, nine people are buried without an autopsy. And although I'm retired, I'm involved in four cases with the removal of organs uh, where a causal link um, to the uh, vaccination can be shown. Um, that was publicized many uh, a long time ago. We have different procedures now. We can show um, the uh, spike protein and the pepsin, uh, and we can make a distinction whether a lesion uh, was caused by uh, possibly by the vaccination or whether it can only have been um, caused by um, COVID itself. Back when I was involved, that wasn't possible, as far as I remember. And so we have the classical excuse that these complications are due to the infection itself. And that, um, all, of course, is different now. So actually, everybody who dies of long COVID, as it's called nowadays, should be abducted in order to differentiate that. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I'm a disbeliever. I don't believe in the vaccination. I don't believe in, how can I put it? I don't believe in the uh, test methods, the PCR methods either. And it's clear that you can manipulate them as you like by performing more or less cycles. And if you uh, run 45 uh, cycles, then uh, you can put a, a grain of salt into a lake and um, then I can actually show that it's, uh, uh, this is a Dead Sea, actually. And that's not correct. Well, I uh, forgot my train of thought now, but um, um, I, there are things that I don't um, agree with, really. Well, I think this differential diagnosis differentiating between a respiratory infection or SARS-CoV-2 or whatever came after it uh, on one side and the spiking on the other side 
by the gene therapy leading to changes in the body or the shot, the jab. There is injections now where the spikes are injected <clears throat> and this is something that one may surely differentiate. If you have these tests and you find the myocapsate or not, um, uh, if there is no vicary, there's no viruses like these without the nucleoclexid. So it must be the spikes that came from elsewhere. If that person was vaccinated or got the jab, rather, um, it is quite clear where they come from. And that should should be done much, much more. Yes, unfortunately, uh, it's not done very much. And I sent all the material that I get from Austria to our colleague Burkhardt, and they do it then. Um, Mr. Wodak, you have to uh, consider what you know, but maybe the uh, viewers don't, that, of course, Um, well, if you uh, can't things match, you can either have lice or fleas. And that's the same thing here. Worst case is I've been vaccinated three times and I'm infected. That is pretty frequent, as we know. And then I have the uh, spike protein and I have it in every test. Um, If I had uh, the same type of uh, um, um, injection, but that's not the, the case because the, the way of absorption happens differently with the injection than with the uh, injection. Well, as the lice and flea thing is the same in uh, Schleswig-Holstein as in Austria, so we've got the differential diagnosis, which should be done in this kind of case. It doesn't make sense because uh, it has no therapeutical consequences. If we really want to look for viruses and what viruses are concerned, we should have to do a multiplex test at least, and we would uh, cover a fraction of the viruses. And that is not done by routine. It's just the uh, PCR test on SARS-CoV-2, and that's it. And uh, because that is better to be invoiced. So these are the things that have little to do with medicine. Yeah, well, all the statistics have been um, messed with uh, because a person who once had a uh, COVID-19 infection um, and they're also uh, considered to be a, a victim of COVID even if they die of something else. So anyone who was uh, SARS-CoV-2 positive was considered to be um, to have died of it. So we have uh, every reason to question these statistics. What I think is threatening is that you can do this again and again with other viruses. If I have the RSV test now, the PCR for RSV, I can do the same thing again. And then I do it again with other respiratory viruses, influenza, whatever I may happen to pick up. I can do the same panic again, again, just many, many tests being positive and wrong, false positive, possibly because the tests are bad and the incidence is low. Then we have most uh, false positive tests, and I can repeat that at length. It's a good business model, actually, and that's probably what they see it as uh, the investment, the investors in the vaccination industry. 
Yeah, I don't know what's behind it really. Uh, we can speculate, of course. But that's, uh, I have an opinion that I mightn't voice publicly here now. No, these are real choices that are done. If you can make money, then an industry makes money. Um, the only thing that what should protect us against it is the uh, officials and the authorities um, like Robert Koch Institute, like Paul Ehrlich Institute, or the health authorities. They should protect us against this. The industry can uh, make their money if they want. Oh. Yeah, that so. was my big disappointment over these three years and the wake-up call really uh, those are uh, institutions that i trusted all my life long the legal system or the government who seem to pursue their own interests um, even damaging people and i so they're not interested in our well-being. They have their own interests to pursue their own agenda, and they don't care what happens to us. Independently of um, the law, and they, they take all the legal measures needed. The same goes for the media. And like many uh, people around me, I used to have friends who suddenly weren't my friends anymore when they noticed that I'm not um, in favor of the vaccination along with the mainstream. Have you got any contact to pathologists and forensic medical people who you worked with before? What's the atmosphere there? Are they online or uh, do they question uh, the cases that come in, which may be exceptional? Are there questions, doubts or not? I called up colleagues. I'm uh, not in the uh, good books of the department, actually, because after I uh, left um, the institute, I uh, sued my uh, uh, the head of the uh, department for mobbing, uh, which I lost, of course, this case. Uh, but I also called up um, uh, colleagues, former colleagues, and I asked, for instance, a year and a half after the beginning of COVID, I asked how many people have died of uh, COVID, and he said, well, all in all, we have maybe 10 um, cases. And then I called uh, someone else uh, in a different hospital. He told me, well, we don't uh, perform any autopsies. So they don't have any experience and forensics um, um, don't pursue it. But I have a contact to pathologists who are not on uh, line and we support each other. Is there any conventions for pathologists, uh, medical expert congress for uh, for forensic medicals? I would be happy to visit one and ask some questions there. That would be great. Yes, that's something you can do, <laughs> of course. Uh, <clears throat> uh, very good, maybe, to join them. Maybe that's something we should do. Well, we should take them in their scientific honor. Okay, yeah, very good, very good. 40 years of university career. Um, I'm not very convinced of any scientific honor. Uh, it's rather uh, scientific criminality. 
What's the situation in Austria in general? Are there any measures? Um, how do the people behave in general? Well, the population, 80% of the population believe that Corona is over and it's no issue anymore. And they are focused on other topics. It's the Ukraine war where we all, except the few, are solidary with the Ukraine. Uh, uh, I also, I'm not on that line, I'm for neutrality. And the other topic that they all um, addressed is uh, the inflation. And uh, we've had 12% this year. And people have other worries now than to follow up on Corona. And in the media, it's not discussed very much. So maybe this is a deliberate um, deception. Still, the stories are moved forward. We are the only country in the EU where they wanted and actually did introduce a vaccine mandate. And even the law created was created in Parliament, but it was passed in Parliament, but uh, the resistance was so high that it wasn't enforced. So, um, and since that has happened, the number of rallies has dropped. What about public transport in Vienna? I heard that when you travel there, you don't need to wear the mask, but when you pass the Vienna town border, then the announcement is made that um, you, they have to wear a mask because in Vienna viruses are more dangerous. Yes, uh, that's still the case uh, in Vienna. The viruses know that at the limit, at the border, they have to stop and then they have to jump to Vienna and uh, get pathogenous uh, there. This is why there is a, a mask mandate in drugstores and public transport. Uh, the good thing is that now in the subway, which I use twice a week, 20% of the people do not wear masks, depending on the day of the time, time of the day. Sometimes it's only 10%. And um, it's uh, so the bad thing, of course, is that 80 to 90% of the people adhere to the mask mandate and uh, don't question it at all. I've seen this in Berlin as well. Uh, there's a certain percentage of those who don't go along, which uh, means that the conductors are no longer happy to uh, talk about it. If there's like 30% uh, wearing no mask in uh, the um, um, in the car, then the um, conductor just uh, gets uncertain and, and doesn't talk about it anymore. Couldn't, he couldn't take everyone on anyway. Yeah, Vienna is different. Uh, we don't have any conductors. We have uh, people who control it and they come in pairs. And I took the following strategy. I take a young man, 20 to 30 years old. Usually they're not Austrian. They come from a different country. And I stand behind him, and I'm quite sure that I'm not talked to then. Um, so if I um, next to somebody um, in Afghanistan and uh, ask them what they um, have uh, against him not wearing a mask, 
Well, that's maybe an Austrian solution, but it works over here. Well, yeah, that's interesting. I have a question from the audience, something quite palpable again. As a family member now, if you learn that uh, someone uh, who passed um, um, in a temporal uh, correlation to the vaccination, do you have a legal claim to have an autopsy performed? Can you say something on this? In Austria, there's a law for that. So, primarily, it can be demanded. And the, the well, the government can uh, request it, and there's no objection to it. If that is not the case, and you only get a death certificate, you have the right to do a private post-mortem, and there is a legal guarantee for that. So you have to do that at your own account, of course, and uh, we are looking for patients who want to do this. And I can only advise people to do it, but unfortunately, I have to say that your chances to get a liability compensation is quite low in our legal system. What about accidents? If a young man, for instance, loses control of their car, someone who was just vaccinated just um, a short time earlier, or we heard uh, from the pilot earlier on, there are accidents that are caused by sudden heart attacks, uh, strokes, um, or um, arrhythmia or that sort of thing after these vaccinations, they really should take a closer look now, shouldn't they? Are all lethal accidents, uh, do they lead to autopsies or not? No, no. There is accidents where we have no post-mortem. Makes may make sense, but it's not done. It uh, depends on the respective, on the um, decretion of the authority and the prosecution. In Germany, there used to be this <clears throat> rule that um, 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 the necropsy um, that uh, was performed um, before an um, um, incineration, um, then um, a post-mortem had to be performed. Um, um, so uh, if somebody didn't want to have a post-mortem um, uh, performed, um, then uh, you could uh, avoid uh, the cremation and then you could simply inter the person. But I don't know if you have the same rule in Austria. Well, the necropsy is legally required. Um, a doctor has to find out the reason of the death and then they are obliged to look for external forces. Um, but. Uh, uh, if I just look at the corpse, uh, how can I see if he had a heart infarct or a brain, uh, 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 a cardiac arrest or whatever? How can I see that? And if I don't know the history of the patient, how can I say that? So this is rather a farce. It doesn't really work very well, and uh, it cannot replace any post-mortem. No, I'm... Uh talking of the um, um, post-mortem performed by the um, um, official uh, physician um, 
So they take a look at the um, death certificate and then they compare it to uh, the, the, the dead body that they can see. And if there are any uh, signs that contradict the um, uh, death cert, um, then um, he'll, of course, report it to the uh, public prosecutor. That the public prosecutor and courts and other authorities can order this, of course, it's obvious. No, this is not the case. There's not a second... Um necropsy if that is um it is certificate certified and then the um undertaking can take its way and if there is no legal confiscation or um, court confiscation of the corpse then the doctor decides whether um the patient is burned or not so it seems to be even easier to uh, put someone into the ground or incinerate them if you want to destroy any uh, proof. Well, that's what I told my students. If you want to kill somebody, make sure he's incriminated before uh, after that. Would you say, can you observe that uh, people are more reluctant to get a, a vaccination in Austria? Yes. I I do think so. In amongst my friends, there is quite a number of people who are vaccinated who refrain from the booster now, the first or fourth uh, shot. Now people are starting to change their minds, and this is something that I've seen in personal discussions. And we know from the official figures that uh, there's hardly any vaccination going on now. The only ones who are shot again and again, and I uh, call that they are coerced into the needle, are people who shouldn't be jabbed at all, using the argument that they are vulnerable. And especially the vulnerable patients, the risk patients, have the higher risk of the adverse effect. And so they are swapping uh, one fear against the other, the fear of uh, dying by COVID-19, which is, and um, they swap the risk for an adver adverse event. Um, I think that is quite uh, concerning. Um, I think uh, that is um, the person who is right has the the adult patient has the right to choose if they want to get vaccinated. That's okay for me, and that's why I did this um, legal complaint because this is not children who are not uh, of legal age yet, it's a different category, uh, then others have to protect them, okay? And um, I see this protective function in the forensic medicine, so this is what we'll have to look at. We have another question on this topic. If you want to ensure that there's an autopsy, um, who can... Um, who can you turn to? Do you have to turn to the undertaker? Or uh, if you want to uh, request a private uh, autopsy, do I have to look for a pathology who does that, who takes samples? Or how do you go about it practically? Well, as I said, I 
can request a um, an official um, autopsy by um, um, notifying this to the public prosecutor and indicating my um, concerns. And with a private autopsy, uh, as long as there hasn't been an official autopsy, then I have to find someone who will do that. There are doctors, uh, GPs, colleagues of mine who will do that for a fee. And then you have to agree with them what they um, will look for and what uh, what they will charge. Probably the same thing. We had the information here that it costs about 1,600 euros. What are the prices that you knew of? Well, I'd um, expect a bit more. Forensics is a, um, a field where you can earn good money. I can tell you from my own experience. I would expect um, a cost, a, a price tag of 3,000 euro. And um, if you do that examination, which Arne Beckholt did, um, what would that be an additional cost? <clears throat> now that's the good news. I would agree on that with the um, uh, person performing the autopsy, which and um, uh, agree contractually ahead of time what samples uh, to take and uh, uh, which ones um, have to be uh, analyzed. Um, and the good news is that's free of charge. That's good. Yeah, that is great. So actually, the people who were unlucky to die after the vaccination and there is a suspicion that the jab played a role and uh, that they want to pursue things for liability reasons you can say this is maximum around three thousand euros that they would have to pay and then the where they would have to tell the pathologist to conserve the respective samples and send them in Yes, yes. That's Professor Burkhardt, the pathology conference, that is. Oh, yes, Professors Burkhardt and Schwarz, they're the two contacts there. And yes. this has been done in four cases already. I didn't perform an autopsy, um, but a colleague who did it, who um, uh, took the samples and sent them in then. That is a, a possible avenue, and it is financially, well, there's a limit on, on the cost. So if you spend uh, that money and if you have the results, then you uh, it's clear whether you have an opportunity to go to court or not. Now, of course, the results can be that there is no connection. It's not always like uh, always black and white, and everybody who died after an, inject uh, an injection died of uh, COVID or the injection. No, it's not the way the world works. And this network of pathologists, I think you are connected worldwide in the pathology conference network. How do you view that? I think uh, worldwide. There are doubts in the pathologists, and uh, do they cooperate, or what is the situation there? Well, 
The network I'm in isn't global. It's largely uh, Austria, Germany, then a colleague from Sweden. So it's just a few countries. And the entire network um, doesn't extend into the uh, Anglo-Saxon world. So we, we should, but uh, we can't handle it. We have so many um, things to deal with. Uh, for instance, recently I got together with others holding press conferences, uh, pointing out the uh, toxins in the uh, COVID tests, um, all the various toxins that we can find in there. And that was a lot of work as well. And um, well, this has been uh, pretty much hushed up by the mainstream media as well. So actually, I haven't heard about this so much yet. So the uh, COVID tests, the PCR tests, that's what you looked into? or the antigen tests, and you uh, noticed that they have um, a high level of um, harmful materials or elements. It's, um, are they um, accidental admixtures, or is that a, a necessary part and parcel? Well, it was in a co a collaboration with the MUs. Um, that's an organization in Austria, and Service TV was also involved, a TV station. And they simply took a number of tests available commercially um, through retailers, and they analyzed them for toxins, and they found uh, toxicity levels that are way beyond the uh, legal limits in some of them, not all of them. And we uh, wrote about uh, what the uh, these toxins, what uh, consequences they can have. And well, some started thinking twice about this. This is the problem is this is also with the children. Um, because these tests were performed two to three times a week in uh, school children. For, for two years. It's not a once-off um, uh, toxicity, but um, a couple of hundred times. That's incredible. So um, we um, publicized this, and then a fact-checker came, uh, came along uh, claiming that this is all nonsense, and that the uh, dosage is much too low. That's just, by the way. And we Googled the fact-checker. And we found it's a nice young lady who's a journalist who has just finished uh, the first term on environmental science. Um, and she's um, judging whether we did um, uh, our science well or not. What about these swabs that are pushed up people's nose that uh, they looked at? And they are pushed up right to the uh, top of the nose. And the distance to the brain there is very, very short, it's only a couple of millimeters. Is there any examinations whether these uh, substances can um, trespass that bone which is up there, the ethymoid bone? And if they are placed in the right place where they take effect immediately, they can have a massive effect, can't they? I'm afraid so, yes. 
Science hasn't uh, studied that uh, much yet. The um, ethylene oxide, which uh, is used for uh, disinfectant here, and which is used a lot in uh, medical practice, is cancerogenic without a limit value. So, even if it's used once off, you have a, um, a once off treatment or application, you have an increased uh, cancer risk, and uh, the children were exposed to that 200 times. So, I would l love to see this being uh, scientifically researched, but it's a, um, a different issue now. And the other substances that were found, what do they do? Or are they all cancerogenic, or do they do other things? One uh, thing is cancerogenicity and natrium, uh, the sodium um, uh, compound is a, a nitrogen um, compound that is toxic. And I couldn't preclude an acute uh, effect, but not in the sense of a child. Um, it was only in the test kits, of course, uh, in the testing fluids and, and um, the claim was made, okay, the children won't have any uh, contact with the test uh, liquids. Um, the, the teacher will do that, and then we uh, interview the teacher. No, that's not true. We just distribute it among the children, and they do it to themselves. And the uh, sodium oxide can um, cause acute um, complications, um, but they're often not detected. I wouldn't say that is un, uh, that is harmless. As I said, these substances are well known, and we have appropriate guidelines from um, labor um, protection, from environmental medicine, and they're no longer applicable here. All of a sudden, they're completely ignored. And the real scandal was that we found that there was a legal um, requirement that the authorities were banned from analyzing these test substances, so they were banned from uh, analyzing these substances, and that's the scandal. And then the next thing was, uh, well, we have looked into 15 samples and they were harmless, and I wonder, uh, do they think we're stupid? Or are they idiots? Because if I uh, have used 10 million uh, kits and I, I analyze 15, uh, then I kind of wonder, uh, is, there finding, is that for um, idiots um, or for, for morons or for what? I'm sorry um, that I should get um, emotional here, but I can't help it. What was the reasoning for that prohibition of the uh, inspection of these preparates? That was a rhetorical question. Well, um, the question, uh, what do you, reason do you need to pass a law or not? Well, it's the protection of the general, protection of health or whatever. Uh, what reasons do you need? I don't know. The... So it serves uh, lowering of skepticism vis-a-vis -vis unnecessary measures. Yes, uh, well, it's quite clear if 
you get swabs from some clandestine operation with child labor in China, that the uh, standards may not be the highest. And, uh, well, you may wonder that you'd have to look at things. And, um, well, we've ordered them and we've paid them. What do we do? Well, nothing, really. Not uh, speaking out against uh, child labor in China, of course, in this context. No, um, I am against child labor, of course, uh, but to come up with my own idea here, um, I am irritated by that. So I'd like to show you one thing. I wrote a second book, which is the Black Book of uh, Youth Benefits. And um, I'm fighting the system for the second time. Um, <clears throat> I tried uh, to attack this uh, system with respect of the benefit of the people um, Adolescents taken away from the families, uh, uh, dead uh, children which had been beaten up, and uh, that um, brought me up once, and now I'm in the second round. Well, wherever you dig, you find um, mud. Well, it's great to hear this from you. Um, I think it gives a lot of food for thought again. And we really have to stick to it. Now, what do you expect? Will there be any reaction to your um, complaints? I can tell you the reaction. <clears throat> we I did this together with the MFG, which I'm member of. It's a party that placed itself as critical to the vaccinations and the suspension of basic laws and um, so it didn't take any reactions to the mainstream medics, uh, media that I um, filed that. But something else that I did, I have this free newspaper and I'll show you that. Um, you see this here? I can't, uh, it's too brief, sorry to read it. And um, so it wasn't in the press that the governor was um, prosecuted, but uh, something else about the kindergarten. Now, um, Johanna Mittelweit uh, wrote a book on kindergartens. She's the attacked uh, governor, and uh, she took the focus wrong on her party. Um, and it's a book which was handed out in a kindergarten, and uh, it's a bit of a weird story that made it to the mainstream media here, and uh, mainstream media rather not talk about uh, the lawsuit filed against the governor. Oh, monstrous, yeah. We'll have to wait and see. But it's great that you uh, should take this position to such a clear uh, point of view and that you demand uh, um, enlightenment and, and also contribute to it. It's what we have to do. We have to keep our um, um, finger on it and uh, we'll have to see um, 
what comes of it. I do believe that the ice that they're dancing on is growing ever thinner. Well, thank you for your contribution. I think it's very important, uh, especially for those who have to pass the sad experience that they have lost relatives after the jabs, that they know what they can do and what action they can take. I think that's good and it's very unfortunate and uh, I've met many of these cases and <clears throat> I didn't really know what to tell them. It wasn't easy and this is a step to take. Thank you for that. Well, thanks again to you. It was great to have you. Yes, thank you for giving the opportunity to talk um, about this here. Uh, very helpful. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. We were speaking to um, Professor Johan Mislivitz. He is a forensic pathologist and he filed a complaint against the governor of Lower Austria, uh, Johanna Mikileitner, uh, because of uh, damages uh, caused to children um, with the um, administration of um, the so-called vaccines. So, yes, we'll stay in contact and you can tell us if there's any interesting developments. Yes, I will. Thank you. Thank you and bye-bye. Okay, thank you. So, uh, for current um, uh, occasion, we have Ulrike um, Camera with us. She will tell us something about the study just released uh, from um, the work environment of uh, Professor Drosten, which shows that the PCR test does exactly what we claim, <coughs> namely that it can't prove any infection. Ulrike, can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you now. <clears throat> okay. Can I share my screen? In that case, I would like to share my screen. And it's interesting, many of you probably know um, this uh, webpage, CoroDoc. And in CoroDoc today, they showed Isabel Eckler smashes the test regime. And I uh, tripped on this Nature publication by this tweet here, and this is something that I looked up. It's called SARS-CoV-2 viral load and shedding kinetics. And um, what's interesting about here is that it is from the laboratory in Geneva, where Miss Eckerley is the boss. He's senior. She's senior author, and she is. Um, she comes from the vicinity of Mr. Drosten. I just put this up briefly. Um, I came from my holiday today. Miss Eckler is this person here. She was um, working together with uh, Mr. Drosten. She's an alumni from Charité. She is one of the top virologists who worked for the public media and the uh, um, governments and all the hardliners <clears throat> and here interesting to see a virologist uh, criticize the current corona politics so that means she wants to have it all tough lined it's very interesting that this nature work came out 
where it's a review, uh, an overview work where they look at the diagnostics of the coronaviruses. In this case, the SARS-CoV-2 specifically, and very interesting passages on PCR, which I uh, jumped on because it says exactly what um, I have in my court expertise, amongst others, um, against the uh, highest administration court uh, who turned all this down, and the PI and the RKI is right, and the PCR test is the gold standard, and you could do it, everything you did with that. and. This tells us it's not the case. And the interesting is to see this here in this native publication as well. Anthony Fauci has presented this. Ms. Koopman said this as well. So the idea is simple because this technology is inadequate. And it says so quite clearly here. And I think maybe the fact checkers will come up to uh, pick up on Isabel Eckler as the corona denier as well. Maybe because she says here diagnostic tools to demonstrate the presence of infectious viruses, and this is the point here from routine diagnostic specimens are needed. So, until today, as she says, we have no proper diagnostics for the right routine detection of the infectious virus. So why is that important for PCR? There's a couple of quotes here. Mr. Ashmanite um, um, translated some of these parts to German. However, although one important sentence is here in the introduction, although detection of viral RNA respiratory specimens by RT-PCR is highly sensitive and specific, another point is it does it does not distinguish between replication-competent virus and residual RNA. And this is the crucial point that we've been saying again and again. The PCR can only um, uh, show uh, DNA or RNA, depending on the type of test, but it cannot decide whether this is a replication-competent or not. Uh, <clears throat> or if it is simply dead matter residue after, um, in this case, of the virus being destructed in, in the immune system of the body. And she also uh, comes back later to see how important the CT value is. This was a uh, conspiracy theory in the beginning, not important, and it is important now. And here, it clearly says that the viral RNA, which is picked up by the RT-PCR, remains detectable even in the absence of an infectious virus. So it says exactly what we have been accused as uh, conspirational theorists of. And now about the gold standard. The gold standard, she says here with her authors, the gold standards for laboratory diagnosis of a respiratory tract infection is the demonstration of viral RNA with a virus-specific semi-quantitic PCR. And now we have the gold standard up here, the gold standard for determining the presence of infectious that means uh, replication competent viruses in is only the uh, proof of the virus in the cell culture. And that is 
exactly what all the pe uh, people about the mass screening and so on uh, say it's wrong because this test can't do it. This is now here written black on white. And so now for everybody who's listening and has got any processes, I try to present this to the judges because they can't simply kick it out now. Um, there's somebody writes something that's correct, but is from the wrong source, so to say. <clears throat> Here we again says the specificity um, is the gold standard. So within her work, she um, contradicts herself, but the actual point is that the virus breeding in the culture is the, response, the, the crucial thing. And she says it here, again, cannot directly determine infectiousness. Is the PCR test cannot show and prove infectiality. So that's true. So until this, it's true. And she only says, well, however, uh, there is a correlation between infectious virus, if you um, breed it in the cell culture and viral, and um, correctly they say there is only a weak correlation <clears throat> or a low correlation. So all this work clearly and nicely shows what we have been saying all the time. PCR cannot be used to decide whether a person which is PCR positive is infectious or not. It's not possible. And then we also hear that the performance of different tests with the CT value strongly varies. And what we've also said, there has to be an internal standard which needs to be adequate. That was um, uh, provided at some point in time, but it was never used. So um, it's an inactivated uh, CO2, uh, COVID-2 uh, isolate, which would be perfect control for all these tests. Here is a nice overview on how all of this is done, how this proof is made. And this is actually the gold standard that means uh, the cell culture and the proof of the virus. But uh, I just want to briefly focus on the PCR aspect of it. And here she compares PCR with the anti-gene tests. These are the uh, speed tests, so to say, <clears throat> where you look at the um, protein. And she says, if these uh, speed tests are positive, it correlates with a CTR if the CT is below 25 or 30, which is comparable to the presence of an infectious virus. <clears throat> so it explicitly said what has been um, rejected for a long time, that only CT up to four, fifth, four, 30 maximum, if at all, provides the correlation of an infectious virus. <clears throat> so if they got their <clears throat> seeing, so I got some uh, test results with a CT of 45. That's beyond good and bad. So that was all wrong. And here it says, that CT below 25 is the right thing. So actually, all this work nicely shows all of this. I want to go through all these sheddings now. I want to skip all that of the different variants because I want to just talk about the PCR test because that's how I got to the Corona Committee. That was the PCR. 
Well, here's a side effect again concerning the vaccination. No significant differences in RNA viral loads were found between unvaccinated, fully vaccinated, or boosted patients infected with Omicron. So she's summarizing um, all these things again, that in most cases, actually, one, two, or three jabs make no difference at all on uh, the PCR results. So people have um, show RNA no matter how many um, jabs they have. It doesn't say anything about the disease itself. Now, towards the end of this article, of this paper, um, again, SARS-CoV-2 diagnostics in public health. And here it says again, unfortunately, point of, uh, no point of care uh, test is available. So tests that can actually be performed on um, the patient. So what's being done in these test centers uh, uh, to determine infectious <coughs> SARS-CoV-2 in a patient sample. So it says explicitly, again, this, all of this test madness, testing madness, neither the PCR nor the antigen test can prove the presence of an infectious, uh, of a, of a uh, rep, um, replication competent virus. And uh, this is confirmed here by a hardcore advocate of testing and mask wearing. It's amazing that uh, she should write this so clearly. Now, the virus culture as uh, something that is uh, doable can't be done in large quantities, of course. She also describes that it would be possible to have this uh, subgenomic uh, RNA uh, with a PCR. This uh, subgenomic uh, RNA is something that actually only uh, occurs in the replicant-competent um, phase of the virus, um, so it's not in the extraviral RNA. So we could say that this is um, replicated there, but it still doesn't mean that the virus is infectious. This um, uh, sgRNA isn't performed because it's not so sensitive. It's not so sensitive. It's um, explained here again. And uh, here it says again, infectious individuals. We can say that if we perform the PCR here and compare it to the cell culture, then you have a CT of 25 max. So this um, paper actually uh, mentions all the things that we always um, criticized with the PCR, that they're not taken into cons uh, consideration. And what's crucial is that it explicitly says again here, again, it's not a surprise, that with the help of this test, no matter whether a PCR or antigen test, we cannot determine whether a person that I get a positive sample from um, has an infectious virus, or is this person infectious? I cannot determine it that way, and I will never be able to do it. And here again, it says the same thing to date. So this is of uh, published on the 2nd of December now. To date, here it says again, uh, no diagnostic test exists that reliably determine the presence of infectious virus. So there you are. That's what I was going to present. But Ricky, how do you explain she must have known this before everybody knows that's what i have been saying all along this pcr is a laboratory tool it's a tool 
if I use that, I know how to use it, and I know uh, its abilities, its limits. Um, and it's, uh, they always said, oh, geologists uh, who aren't virologists can't say anything about the PCR. That's bullshit. Uh, PCR can be used everywhere. It's being used by archaeologists who um, um, can show um, with uh, flies defrosted from uh, permafrost um, what um, animals they've had on. So it's a standard science uh, method. Any molecular uh, scientist will do it in any lab all the time. And um, whether I can judge it now, that's got nothing to do with viruses at all, virology. So that's the crucial thing that they managed early on. PCR was a novel invent invention by virologists, and all of those who are not among the top-notch virologists better shut up. They, they shouldn't dare judge that. Well, they put up an actor with the PCR test and telling us uh, that uh, in the news every week and every day how great uh, this uh, value can be, the trust of its qualitative, and again and again, and he talked to many laymen and he played a great role and really uh, what the laboratory is, is used everywhere and the, the inventor said again and again before he died, it is not suitable for that. And this guy um, was uh, hosted by the chancellor. He was needed to tell us the story. That was all. He's such a nice guy, and we believed him. Such bullshit. It's really like the elephant in the room. Um, he, he just told the stories, and the chancellor was naked. <clears throat> and all who pointed out this fact were immediately pushed into the um, conspiracy theorist corner, which I still can't understand. It is a technology that everyone um, working with gene, uh, genetic expression, with analysis of animals, of plants, of microorganisms works with. Anyone who uses this technology, and we're talking of thousands, of hundreds of thousands of people worldwide, should have known immediately, you're pulling a leg here, and nobody did. That's the surprising thing. So what could that mean, that this kind of publication is published now? Do they want to move away from it? Do they want to introduce a new method? Or is that coincidence? <clears throat> Why is it being published now? she and because it is, weakens their official narrative or would they think it goes by unnoticed and why do they publish it then that's called a <coughs> retraction a battle uh, this thing that's being uh, published now um uh, they still applies uh, we virologists will tell you who's infectious or not we virologists will tell you that is complete nonsense and even if you uh, can breed individual <coughs> replicant uh, viruses, that doesn't mean that anybody's infectious. You know how you can determine that, whether somebody's infectious? <coughs> if they have a runny nose, if they have symptoms that they can notice themselves, then they are infectious. And if 
your uh, throat is uh, itching, then it might start. Nobody can tell better than the person who uh, feels their symptoms. That's quite. People say, I'm getting something, I've caught something. That's what they say. <clears throat> we have to take it seriously, and somebody has to be um, um, sent home. Uh, and that's not a problem if they're ill for a week. Until this is gone, then they're no longer infectious, and the symptoms are gone too. It's so simple, really, and everybody knows who has been dealing with patients for 50 years or more. Any doctor knows that. And it's so unresponsible uh, of how um, big and important the virologist felt. Uh, so we have this proof, and the virologists have to tell us again, they can't really. They have to do more research, give us more money so we can uh, look even more closely, but it still doesn't allow for any statement to be made. Well, what I think is scandalous is we're saying these people have known it from the beginning that this test is crap, to pull it quite clearly, and it's not suitable. Uh, it's been shown here a number of times in this work to prove infectiousness and that makes it unsuitable to justify all the measures it's explicitly said somebody who has a positive test is not necessarily infectious so if we really assume a pandemics that they will pass it on and this is the fraud, if all these gen ladies and gentlemen on day one had said, that's it, what we read what we read now, we wouldn't have thought all this test pandemics, full stop. And that is the inexplicable about it. Why do they write it now? The rats are leaving the, shimping, the sinking ship or what? <clears throat> Look at the 200 studies listed there when they were published. They were published long after 2019. And they all got a lot of money for participating in all this nonsense. But I think, well, how can you sell your soul? In the end, they cause so much damage also in the credibility of science. So that's something that we really have to say. They uh, had all the followers of the science and so on, and now they sneak around these things with these corners saying, ah, oh, it didn't, wasn't worth it. The damage is done. So it even says the vaccination helps probably next year. The laboratory will come out. Oh, unfortunately, we were wrong. And um, two more pub 200 more publications that the so-called vaccination was stupid right from the beginning. We knew better, but okay, three years of shots around the people. Oh, shit happens. To find out um, in detail, we have to do some more research, though. Well, it's extremely dramatic what's going on. They see the people are fed up with it, with this Omicron, what gamma, and you can, can't fill the IC units anymore with it. And uh, now they row back. They back up. Maybe. It's a good thing that it's so over the top. I think now a lot of people should know this. 
at the next virologist congress or the next congress of neurologists or internal um, medicine physicians or gps can't really seriously deal with this sort of thing on a scientific congress it'll be embarrassing even if they start um, asking questions how would they want to answer them well, be interesting on how to answer the people who was who were damaged by the measures, the companies that went bust, all the care homes where the people were locked away, the children who were tortured, um, the weak people who were weeks on end in quarantine because their test was positive. How are they going to look into the mirror? I. If I had to bear with this, I wouldn't want to, whatever amount of money they made with it. Well, it is amazing that this um, <clears throat> hasn't been suppressed in one way or another, that it's actually been published in, in nature of all places. That's really ast astounding. Well, a PCR test was 15 euros. That's what I remind you. And the assistant did it. Well, the machines did. No, I mean the swap, the swap wipe with the with, in the doctors. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, and much more money for the lab, actually. So uh, all of those people who um, made mega bucks there, um, uh, Drosten, uh, never forget. Um, he claims that he didn't make any uh, money as uh, charité. Uh, that's true. But as a director of the diagnostics lab, Vivantes, he did earn a lot of money with the tests. Well, I have so many people told me that if you've got the swipe, you've got a big laboratory, these big Chinese laboratories, well, the industries, really, <clears throat> they got sequences at the same, and they were after the human data. They've got everything now. All the children in the schools, they've got it all. They have got all the genetic data. They harvested it, and now they can give it a real go. And that's really, I think, that's one of the motives why they did this. So that um, uh, it was the Human Genome Project, a million, billion genome project is what they did. They got all the genome, uh, they got the whole genome now. <clears throat> and, uh, and that's China with its uh, container through Balcoma collecting swabs. Uh, it is a gold rush now. And we have to think about the genetic data. We have to discuss about this here. There's lots of things that we have to say about that, um, where we have to warn against, I think. Yes, and um, uh, mentioned it, this problem with um, the swabs. The problem is actually that for viral diagnostics, uh, and very early on, Wolfgang Dawson had published that, that the so-called spittle test uh, is much more sensitive than the swabbing. But that makes sense if you want to have a lot of cells in order to get uh, some DNA. And the spittle test would have been much less damaging because all the mucositious in the nose um, uh, wouldn't have been destroyed so where you um, are uh, immunocompromised locally and one germ after the other can attack you. And that spit test, does that make sense diagnostically or more sense? Um, looking at all the question marks. Well, at the very beginning, um, we um, I looked at the publication of, for the soldiers process there in Leipzig and 
uh, it actually said that the uh, quickest um, results would be um, uh, for the PCR would be really in the spittle, not in the swab. So they actually compared it with patients. So at the very, very, very beginning um, th that had been published already. So does that mean <clears throat> even more false positives or what? Yes, but if you think positively now and you think that uh, PCR is actually positive, a good thing, then you could have spared people this torture with the swabs. Uh, it's an invasive um, um, procedure, I think. That wasn't necessary at all. If you um, assume that PCR makes sense. I was just called today, Wolfgang. I am positive again. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I, but I'm positive. So well, then you have to stay at home for a week. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy about that. It is madness, pure madness that the employers go along with that. It's great additional holidays. You just uh, have a little test and then you go for it. Even though many actually, and I can see it with um, in my in environment, that a lot of people are really ill. And if the test is positive, then it wasn't rhinoviruses, adenoviruses, it was COVID. And if the test is negative, then people are really disappointed and then it wasn't COVID and it's something more trivial. And if they get sick and uh, they can pass it on to their colleagues, so they should stay home, although the test is negative. It just shows so clearly the bullshit that's going on and uh, that it's clinically nonsense. We have to have infection prophylaxis and we know how to do so. If we have symptoms, we should make sure that we don't pass it on to others. Uh, cough in our elbow or stay at home. Don't contact many people until it's gone. Take vitamin D and C and uh, get a uh, sister's tea and uh, that's it and uh, un other unspecific measures that help us. That's what we can do and then we'll wake. We stay away and wait for it to go away. That's what we know and that's what we have always done and that's important and we should do that in the future as well. Say, Ulrike, um, in this study it said at one point where it said that there's no difference between the viral load among a vaccinated, boosted people, etc. But this didn't rely, uh, uh, refer to a, um, a correct or incorrect recognition, um, false positive of um, uh, vaccinated or boosted people, right? That was only a statement. Yeah, that was a point. If you take um, RNR from different patients and quantify it, that you don't see any difference as to the so-called Omicron uh, whether you are actually G0 or uh, healthy, that is, or unjabbed or one, two or three boosters. So uh, that has been published many times as well, that all these jabs have no effect, except never negative ones. Now, what other method is there uh, that the QT value to um, um, evaluate this quantitatively, the PCR? There is a semi-quantitative values. If you take the GL and do it optically, but really to quantify it, this is actually usually done with this life cycle PCR. Uh, 
So it's always if you have the respective controls to go along. If you say I have a high uh, control standard nucleine acid where I know the dosage and I compare it, I can do a standard graph. And then in a standardized procedure, I can check the number of copies um, and precisely run the test. Like in the standard blood count uh, in the laboratory where I get a concentration because I have certain standards in the machines. <clears throat> but the standard machine has to be the same in all the laboratories with each test. That's the point. Okay, I'm thinking of Robert Koch Institute who have been doing this um, 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 working group influenza, I think it's called, and they're looking for coronaviruses. No, they never did that prior to 2019, but they had parainfluenza and a few other viruses that they monitored for uh, always. And when they started uh, looking for corona for, for SARS-CoV-2, they were also looking for the other viruses. And with the old coronaviruses and parainfluenza, etc., you have these standardized tests, and they're uh, licensed. How uh, do they go about it, said Robert Koch Institute? I, I thought they did uh, very um, meticulous work there, really. Now, with SARS-CoV-2, do they have their own tests? Uh, with a better quality than the tests that are done left, right, and center? Or do you know anything about that? Well, you can always... Um, this is a work that is under revision now. It's going to be published soon. Sonia worked on this. Um, she did reliable PCR tests. And this work says that you can use these, inact uh, these attenuated SARS-CoV-2. You can buy them. And you can center them, you know, one milliliter has so and so many and dilute them. And uh, that's uh, what you, that's normal way to do it. And I think the good labor laboratories, the good diagnostics um, will do this, but um, it would just uh, go not done in this mass screening the first two years. This was just about output, output, producing positive whatever results. Who cares? Are there recognized medical products for SARS-CoV-2 tests? There is quite early um, these approved tests. I think it's about 300 of them. And wherever they are produced and... Still, the point is they're looking only for that fragment. They never, and that's what the nature work tells us, they can never say it had the complete virus. You can only do that with the infectiousity in the cell culture. So you can only quantify the nucleic acid and prove it and nothing else and nothing more and this will never be able because that's the technology you have to shred the entire tissue even if it ever contained a, a virus you can't use it to to conclude that it um, has um, a virus well what you can do is plug essays where you can actually um, 
to trade this. And if you uh, see that uh, they keep replicating, then you can say there was an infectious virus there. You can also say there was so and so much in the um, a sample, um, uh, um, tens of percents of liters, but it doesn't say anything about the health, <coughs> the health or otherwise of the patient. That's why I'm saying only uh, the physician is allowed to do uh, to um, diagnose symptomatically, and then the lab can confirm what uh, pathogen are we talking about. And that's what they used to do in the past. E even the WHO said this. Um, that they that that this has no value. They published it. Still, they made it the basis for all this theater. Yep. As I said, the important thing I think is with this uh, paper that it specifically says, as Anthony Fauci had already said on an American show, um, and Marion Comas, who was a, a co-author with Drosten, said it on Dutch TV early on, and uh, several. Uh, Swiss and uh, Swedish uh, national and Singapore, they um, always had it explicitly in their documentation that the test can never prove the existence of infectious virus. Only we um, claimed that all the time. But I think it's good that we have this paper out now. And now if somebody says you don't know anything about PCR, well, Please uh, look for Geneva. They mightn't have any idea about PCR tests either. And I want to see how the fact checkers can uh, deal with that now. Uh, life is hard, isn't it? And the others involved there are also highbrow and uh, on the mainstream. Um, well, I don't know them, but I expect it's people from her laboratory this type of publication, the crucial thing is the first one is usually the one who does the work and uh, the one at the back is the one who runs the laboratory and they're all from her laboratory. So it could be postdocs or whatever, PhDs. I don't know, I didn't check that. Okay, interesting. So great um, for letting us know here. Um, you never um, stop learning. It's fascinating to see how things come out by the by uh, with a view to this uh, forgiveness that uh, people are claiming. Now, I wonder if this uh, lady analyzed all these things. Shouldn't she have uh, raised the alarm much earlier now? Well, she didn't need to analyze anything. She could have said so right from the beginning. She knew it like Drosten and all the others knew. It's not about analyzing. On day zero, they should have said, Sorry, guys, it's a nice test. I can show RNA and uh, I can show that a patient who has a scratchy throat has uh, COVID-2 or influenza type B or whatever. But beyond that, not. No. So these people uh, against their better knowledge carried on and forced this whole story of this whole show for the last three years. That's the point. They were paid for it, right? That's the dramatic point for it. And everybody who said, no, no, you can't do it this way. Oh, well, we knew what happened. We know what happened to them. They are criminals, whatever. Um, yeah. yeah, the best thing is uh, our local paper told me as PCR denier, 
um, I thought, well, guys, I'm working with this for 30 years. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's a fantastic tool. Uh, <clears throat> but you have to know what you use it for. Yeah, I've been surprised as well when people started uh, saying that, that I was a corona denier. Um, they they never knew three years ago that there is anything like a coronavirus. Well, corona denier is uh, not defined yet. So what's that? You have that. That's the halo around the sun. Uh, it's a corona. It's a crown. The people who were around the uh, VIPs of the corona. So what does a corona denier deny? It's not defined, is it? Yeah, no, it isn't, no. Yeah. Let's wait and see what's going to come. Okay, great that you should have um, responded so spontaneously there. And I think we understood. And let's see now what uh, comes of it. How, um, whether there'll be any reports on it. Um, probably not uh, in the mainstream. Um, it really is sensational, but um, it's, it's going to be interesting. And... You have to thank Ashmanite with his Korodok. He's got a great collection. He's up to date. That is very important that he does that. He should carry on with it. Well, on this occasion, all the people who send tips uh, to us and literature, uh, there are many people who keep reading, reading, reading. We can't do it all ourselves. So many of the things uh, that I mentioned here now, I get this uh, from other people who pointed out to me. And I would like to thank them very, very warmly. It's really, really important. And uh, nobody could do it on their own selves. So thanks to all those vigilant people and the critical people who help us here. And Ulrike, thanks to you. And um, give my regards to your birds of prey. Well, that is a term that's out. Sorry. Well, you're, you can't talk of a raptor anymore. You have to talk of a bird of prey. So, raptor is no longer PC. Well, they are not raptors. They're bird of prey. They, and they are predators. That's the new speak. Right. Thanks a lot. Um, very interesting. And we'll stick to it. So we spoke to Professor Ulrike Kemmerer um, on the new findings of a study from Geneva from the um, environment of um, or scientific environment of uh, Professor Drossen that found that the PCR test cannot prove an infection and actually says it, even though we had known all along. Well, I'd say we're at the end of this session. We have another video. Uh, for one thing, we have this uh, thing by uh, Alan Dana. I think there was something on the pilots there. I think we could show that. And then we have something um, in our own um, um, interest. So uh, it will be interesting to see what um, the reactions are uh, to that. And I hope that you um, can see uh, what it's all about and that you can respond. So uh, I think that's all. So I would like to bid you goodbye. I think it was really an enormous uh, an amount of scientific findings. And it's uh, important to keep reminding ourselves of what's still happening here also with all these uh, criminal proceedings 
that are uh, going on. Those are um, uh, reverberations from what was going on over the last two and a half, nearly three years now. And we lost sight of uh, many of these things uh, because it's been um, the measures have been relaxed, but a lot of people are still being harassed and prosecuted, so we need to stick to it. So against this background, I would like to wish everybody a nice Friday evening, a nice weekend, and see you again next week. Thanks. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Incapacitated when crossing the Atlantic, Captain Robert Snow had a heart failure six minutes after landing. And the trainee lands the plane after her teacher had a heart infarct. On approach, the co-pilot reported an emergency haste because the captain didn't return from the toilet. The captain incapacitated during flight the co-pilot pilot landed in Montreal briefly after the takeoff the captain faded away twenty five minutes after takeoff the plane had to land on approach the co-pilot had to land the plane while the captain lost consciousness the co-pilot landed in Thessaloniki where the captain was taken to hospital During cruise flight, a member of the uh, flight deck became uncareless. A pilot lost control, died in flight. The pilot had to land, was landed with an emergency landing.
The plight landed in Frankfurt, where it was diverted. A severe case. <clears throat> During cruise flight, the plane had to land in Orlando. During the climb, the co-pilot was incapacitated. The pilot reported an emergency landed and landed emergency case and landed. During approach, the co-pilot became unconscious, the captain had to land the plane. A pilot that traveled as a passenger took the place of the captain. <coughs> Despite the landing in Chicago, the captain and medical care, the captain died. Despite the emergency landing, the captain and the crew member died. We thank, we think of the pastaways and the victims. Dear friends of the Corona Committee, Today, I would like to give you some explanations on the uh, new sponsorship of the uh, committee, of which I had spoken in the 132nd and 33rd uh, meetings. The new um, committee is a foundation in whose uh, council there is uh, Ulrike Kemmerer and other um, trustees. They uh, watch uh, over the uh, expenditures so that there can be no uh, incorrect developments. The um, foundation has already been recognized as tax deductible, as charitable, and that is why we can issue so-called donation uh, receipts. You have already availed of this um, possibility. Uh, thankfully enough, we've already received um, uh, donations uh, to an, uh, a tune that makes me hope that we will be able to um, support the uh, expenditures of the committee in the long term. That's a great development. Thank you very much for this. We will publish our uh, account movements, uh, the um, bank statements for maximum transparency. We will uh, redact the names, of course, um, but you will recognize your own um, remission so that you can uh, see where the money goes. Uh, so that was very important to us to have maximum transparency here. Well, and uh, the situation now is such that there is still uh, the original um, sponsorship of the uh, committee of the uh, its meetings. That is the uh, society that Justus Hoffmann, Ms. Fischer, Rainer Fürmich and myself established originally um, and 
Um, it is a, a foundation with asset uh, ties as well. However, we have some um, um, difficulties there uh, in the context of Rainer Fulmich, um, which is the reason why he's not with us anymore now at the meetings. And uh, there are uh, some um, things to ta be taken care of. For instance, 700,000 uh, euro worth of liquidity reserve that hasn't been uh, returned yet. And there are other things that need to be taken care of now urgently. We're working on this, but the uh, fate of this um, society will have no longer an impact on uh, our current work in the committee. Of course, the funds um, that were meant for uh, this original society are um, will be available for our uh, future committee work, and we will have to uh, determine how this will be handled uh, structurally going forward. We're working on this. Now, there is a very um, current development, which um, actually is worrisome, and I uh, made another video for this, which you will see now. Well, I'm addressing you today because we have a problem with the committee that we absolutely need to uh, solve so it won't um, uh, explode in our faces. Uh, as Americans would, the American would put it, we have a situation. It's well known that Rainer Füllmich some time ago um, received in trusteeship 700,000 euro uh, for the um, committee. He hasn't returned the money yet, even though he claims that he sold uh, the house where he had parked the money. And that has uh, certain consequences. Above all, um, the committee has accumulated a number of invoices uh, some of them being rather ancient, uh, maybe a year old or older, and some of them are rather recent uh, invoices. I have um, passed on some of those invoices to Rainer Fümmich for payment um, of, out of the 700,000 euro um, that he has access to, um, but he hasn't paid. Um, and the upshot is that our service providers um, are waiting for their money and their patience will run out at some stage. We can't keep going. We have the interpreters who are waiting for their uh, money. We have a, an invoice by IT that hasn't been paid. We have an invoice from over a media. Um, among them, one major bill of 40,000 euro, which is uh, due to the uh, lack of funding. We're looking at a total volume of about 70,000 euro. It's all with Rainer Fürmich. He hasn't paid it. Um, he paid one hotel bill, which obviously hadn't been paid for yet, um, for a meeting with a number of different personalities, a kind of a, a strategy meeting. But all these pending uh, invoices that also refer to current corporations, um, he hasn't paid those. No, uh, the consequence would be that if these service providers at some stage um, take the view that they will no longer um, be patient, then we have a lack of liquidity, i.e. we can't pay anymore. Under normal circumstances, that means we uh, become insolvent. 
And that is particularly absurd because we really have 700,000 euro with Rainer Fönig and we have an asset um, of a, a certain um, significant value uh, which we cannot access despite Rainer's claims, public claims, because the accounts um, um, powers aren't uh, haven't been granted to us. So we are in the um, theoretically comfortable situation of having a lot of money uh, that we can use for the uh, work of the um, Corona Committee, and we could even use um, some of the money for other projects that we uh, uh, feel are worth supporting. So our hands are tied here. The result being that theoretically in the uh, future, in the near future, actually, we might be completely incapable of paying and we would have to file for insolvency. And uh, so I have to say um, um, that's the end of the line for us now. Um, of course, we won't uh, go insolvent because of Rainer's behavior. And uh, uh, we won't um, assume personal liability um, because of it. So I will. I'm calling upon Rainer Fülmich to return the money now immediately. And I also would like to add uh, one more thing. I'm afraid that Rainer Fülmich won't make the payment because he doesn't want our committee to uh, continue uh, operating the legitimate original uh, committee that um, collected the donations. And it is possible for him to uh, blockade this deliberately or for the committee to go bankrupt. He won't succeed in uh, stalling this committee because I established a foundation which is charitable by now and uh, which continues paying for the current uh, meetings. But these legacy uh, invoices will soon explode in our faces, first of all, in terms of an insolvency, potential insolvency, but also um, um, straining our relationship to the service uh, providers because uh, a family with this little child, for instance, can't go without um, income because Reinhard Gefürmich refused to return the money. Well, could you imagine that? Well. Now, we, I, I kept thinking about what I can do if Rainer continues to um, refuse paying um, the money. We will sell our repayment claims. Part of our repayment claim, uh, claims, it will be an assignment of um, um, parts of this uh, liquidity reserve uh, slash loan. So it will be sold in individual uh, tranches. Right now, we expect that um, it won't be uh, possible of recovering the money. It might not be possible to get it from Rainer Fülmich. We don't know. But um, we just, um, on the, to be on the cautionary uh, uh, side, on the side of caution, we say that this is a possibility. Um, but if you buy some of those um, uh, debts uh, from us, then uh, you can claim against Rainer Fülmich, of course. That would be an excellent situation for us if many individuals Um, approached Rainer Fülmich with their uh, with claims for repayments, taking legal action if necessary. If there are people who find that they want to hold us um, uh, harmless, but also want to keep uh, Rainer Fülmich harmless of these against these claims, then we'd be happy as well if uh, such people could buy uh, some of these this debt from us. 
not claiming it back from Rainer. So that would be a consolation where we could um, move back into our work without having to think about these financial issues all the time. I have to say it is a huge strain because it is something that we need to deal with again and again and again. Uh, so I would be very grateful to you if you could support us in this way to overcome this situation so that we no longer have to look at these legacy problems. It is um, 200,000 that we will sell initially now, but uh, if uh, there is enough interest, we would be willing to sell off the uh, remaining 500,000 euro as well. Well, what more can we say on this? Well, have a nice day.